0: Welcome, everyone, to today's Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee meeting. Welcome to the committee and all of the presenters and and staff from the departments. Thanks for being here today. Public comment will be taken before or during the committee's consideration of each agenda item. Speakers may address the committee for up to three minutes. Members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide public comment on every item. In addition to in-person public comment, the Citizens General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee will hear up to 20 minutes of remote public comment on each agenda item. Because of the 20 minute time limit, it is possible that not every person in the queue will have an opportunity to provide remote public comment. Remote public comment from people who have received an accommodation due to disability will not count toward the 20 minute limit and then this is instructions for providing remote public comment by phone public comment call-in number is 1-415-655-0001. the access code is 2661388 9782, that's 2661-388-9782. And if you are asked, the meeting password is 1234. That's 1234. Please wait for the agenda item before making a comment on that item. Members of the public may make remote public comment, sorry, members of the public making remote public comment will speak in the order they are received in the queue as described below. When the moderator announces the committee is taking public comment, members of the public can raise hand by pressing star 3 and you will be cued. Callers will hear silence when waiting for their turn to speak. The operator will unmute you. When prompted, each caller will have three minutes to provide comment. Ensure you are in a quiet location, speak clearly, and turn off any TVs or radios around you. Chair Matthews, may I read the Ramaytusha Ohlone land acknowledgement? Thank
1: you. Yes, please.
0: Thanks. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytusha Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytusha Ohlone have never ceded lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all people's who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people.
1: Thanks, Roseanne. May you take roll, please?
0: Thank you. Please unmute your mics if they've been muted. Vice Chair Crawford? Here. Member Larkin? Here. Chair Matthews? Present. Member Pantoja? Here. Member Sanderlin? Here.
2: Member Tung? Here.
0: Thank you. I just want to note that we have a new member, uh, Member Tung?
1: Yes, uh, thanks if I may for a moment, um, call on Member Tim Tung to uh, briefly introduce himself.
2: Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I'm the newest member to this committee. I'm filling seat number seven, which is appointed by the mayor uh, to represent the business community here in San Francisco. Uh, In terms of my background, I've been working in public finance for the last 17 years, five years at a public agency issuing bonds, and for the last 12 years doing municipal credit analyst work, um, researching municipalities up and down California, throughout the western United States, and so forth. So deep expertise in bond issuance and bond finance, and I'm happy to bring that to the committee. Thank you very much.
1: Um, We
0: have a quorum and just for the record, it's 9.35 a.m.
1: If you could take item two, please.
0: Thank you. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. If you are participating in public comment by phone, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2661 9782 and if prompted, the password is 1234, then hit pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. So I don't see anyone at the podium. Um, Moderator, do we have anyone online? My computer logged me off. Okay, so we have no one online, so uh, we can conclude the public comment section.
1: Yep, and let's uh, move to action item number three the election of chair and vice chair.
0: Sure, agenda item three election of chair and vice chair. So we'll go first with the chair. I'd
3: like to nominate Tim Matthews as chair. This is Member Pantoja.
4: Second.
1: Anybody else? Okay. Uh, can we take uh, any discussion? No. Public comment on this item?
0: Public comment. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three me- minutes to speak. And then by phone, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should now press star three. Um, I do not see anyone at the podium, and there are no attendees with their hands raised online. Can we close public comment for this part of this agenda item?
1: Yes, please. We may take a roll call vote. Vote.
0: Vice Chair Crawford? Aye. Member Larkin?
1: Aye.
0: Does Chair Matthews vote for himself? Uh, Sure, sure. 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 Chair Matthews? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Member Pantoja? Aye. Member Sanderlin? Aye. And Member Tung?
1: Aye. Great, Uh, thanks folks, appreciate it. Um, Let's move to the election of Vice Chair.
5: I will nominate member Crawford to continue as vice chair.
2: Second. Okay. Um, Okay,
1: if we can take public comment.
0: Thank you. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to participate by phone, please press star three now to line up. There's no one at the podium and there's no one on, on online.
1: Great. Let's, um, close public comment and take a vote.
0: Okay, thank you. So we'll close public comment now. Vice Chair Crawford? Aye. Member Larkin? Aye. Member Matthews?
5: Aye.
0: Member Pantoja? Aye. Member Sanderlin? Aye. And Member Tung?
3: Aye. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: Great, if we could move to item four, please.
0: Item four, approval with possible modification of the minutes of the April 24th, 2023 meeting.
1: Um, I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes of our last meeting? I'll second. And I'll make a quick comment here for discussion. Um, Tim, I know you weren't present, but the way that this works here is um, we're all going to vote on it, and you you will also have to vote on it, and that you'd be relying on our um, position that the the minutes are
2: correct. I did have an opportunity to watch the recorded. Oh, great. Very good. So I believe the content is correct in the meeting notes. Um, if we
1: could take public comment on this sure. item.
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. And members of the public who wish to provide public com- comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2661 9782 And if asked, the password is 1234, then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. So it looks like we have no public comment in person or by phone.
1: Great, Uh, if we could close public comment and vote on the item.
0: Thank you. Uh, Vice Chair Crawford? Aye. Member Larkin? aye. Chair Matthews? Aye. Member Pantoja? Aye. Member Sanderlin? Aye. And Member Tung?
1: Aye. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, if we may move to item five, and I just want to acknowledge we have a very packed agenda due to us skipping our last meeting, so I appreciate um, thoughtful and careful discussions as we go through these items.
0: Thank you. Item five presentation from various departments on the 2008 and 2012 clean and safe neighborhood parks go bonds and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
6: Committee members, my name is Kelly Rudnick, and I am the Deputy Director for Capital at San Francisco Rec and Park Department. Um, I'm going to kick off the presentation on the 2008 and 2012 Clean and Safe Neighborhood Parks Bonds, and then um, go over the Rec Park part, and then Shannon Cairns from the port will follow up on the port portion of this presentation. So... Um, SO THIS IS AN OVERVIEW OF BOTH THE 2008 AND 2012 FINANCE Um, YOU'LL SEE FROM THE 2008 BOND THAT ALL OF THE BOND AND BOND INTEREST FUNDS HAVE BEEN SPENT AND ALL 75 PROJECTS ARE COMPLETE OF THE 2012 BOND 92% OF THE BOND ISSUANCES HAVE BEEN SPENT OR ENCUMBERED AND 77 PROJECTS ARE COMPLETE Um, THIS this SHOWS THE LIST OF THE 15 OPEN NEIGHBORHOOD parks THAT WERE A PART OF THIS BOND. Um, THESE INCLUDE FULL POOL RENOVATIONS, FULL PLAYGROUND RENOVATIONS, REC CENTERS, AND PARK RENOVATIONS. Um, THE 2012 BOND FUNDED um, OUR LET'S PLAY SF PROGRAM. THIS WAS A PARTNERSHIP WITH THE SAN FRANCISCO PARKS ALLIANCE. Um, So you can see in the bottom uh, left the leveraged funds so we look for grants and other um, development fees uh, general fund and open space to fund this program we've opened 10 playgrounds so far you can see that one is in planning and design right now expected to go into construction next year and two playgrounds are going to go into construction later this year. Uh, THE COMMUNITY OPPORTUNITY PROGRAM IS ALSO FUNDED THROUGH THE 2012 BOND. Uh, AND THIS PROJECT, um, uh, THIS PROGRAM ALSO LEVERAGES MANY OTHER FUND SOURCES. Uh, YOU CAN SEE THE RECENTLY COMPLETED PROJECTS, AND ALSO THE FINAL PROJECT IN THIS PROGRAM IS IN CONSTRUCTION, AND THAT'S THE Fillmore AND TURK MINI PARK. Um, THE 2012 BOND ALSO HAD THESE PROGRAMS, WATER CONSERVATION, FORESTRY, AND TRAILS. THESE uh, FUNDS um, SUPPLEMENTED OTHER PROJECTS, OTHER BOND PROJECTS. SO WE HAVE SIX COMPLETED WATER CONSERVATION PROJECTS. WE'RE um, IN DESIGN AND CONSTRUCTION ON THE MCLAREN TRAILS AND THE MIDDLE LAKE um, PROJECTS IN THE TRAILS AND IN THE FORESTRY. um, THOSE FUNDS SUPPLEMENTED THE GOLDEN GATE PARK DOG PLAY AREA AND um, THE LAKE MERCED TRAIL IMPROVEMENTS, WHICH WILL BE GOING INTO CONSTRUCTION THIS YEAR. A quick overview of a few projects. The Alice Chalmers Playground. um, This was a part of the Let's Play SF program. It opened in 2020. Garfield Square Pool, which was a uh, full rebuild of the the pool, um, opened in 2021. And George Christopher Park. uh, This playground opened in 2023 and was also a part of the Let's Play SF program. Looking ahead, um, we expect to complete the spending for the 2020 bond with the citywide parks, as I mentioned, the Lake Merced Trails Project will go into construction this year, and the McLaren Trails Project next year, and the Let's Play, the final Let's Play SF projects, which are Richmond Playgrounds, Stern Grove Playground, uh, which will go into construction this year, and the Buchanan Street Mall Project, which will go into construction next year. Um, the Prop A 2020 Health and Recovery Bond is actually number seven on your agenda, so we'll have a thorough a presentation on that coming up. Um, but just as uh, overview, 239 million went to the Rec and Park Department, and we've issued the we've done the first two issuances. So I'll go over that, um, these projects, and um, this is just sort of a uh, an appetizer. Um, I'll pass it off to Shannon Cairns with the Port to um, talk about their projects.
7: Thank you Kelly. My name is Shannon Cairns and I just want to say good morning to the committee members and the staff. Um, I lead the project management office at the port of San Francisco, so I will um, tell you about the the waterfront parks that were funded by the 2008 and 2012 bond. Oops, wrong direction. There we go. Okay, Um, so all of our um, parks that were funded by the 2008 bond are complete. And so you can see here the um, 2012 um, funded projects. Two of them are complete. We had the Cruise Terminal Plaza that was completed in September 2014, and we had Crane Cove Park that was funded both partially by 2008 bond and the 2012 bond, and that is all complete. The park opened in September 2020, and then there were remaining components of it that were completed in August 2022. We have two projects in design or environmental review. Agua Vista Park will be delivered as a part of the Mission Bay Ferry Landing. The Mission Bay Ferry Landing schedule has been delayed due to funding issues that are being resolved. And so um, we expect to complete Agua Vista Park um, based on Mission Bay Ferry Landing schedule in the first quarter of 2026. Um, the reason that Alga Vista Park is tied to Mission Bay Ferry Landing schedule is that um, the park area is adjacent is land side adjacent to the ferry terminal, and it, part of that area will be used for construction staging for Mission Bay Ferry Landing. So' it'd be quite foolish of us to do the park before we use it for construction staging. Um, the other one in um, design is um, pier twenty seven public art. So that, there is currently a panel reviewing the artist's applications for that work and we expect to have the art installed in May 2024. Two projects, the two remaining projects are in construction. Is List Creek um, Improvements is a signage project and um, that's currently in construction and we expect it to be complete in January of 2024. And then Herons Head Park, the vast majority of that work was actually completed um, In November of 2021, there were some remaining funds that we are using for a signage component for that that we were hoping was going to be complete this month, but there's been a supply issue with some of the signage. So um, we expect that to be completed very soon in the coming months. And um, my next slide is just a Gantt chart essentially showing you um, the schedule that I just went over for the remaining work. And that is all I have. I'm happy to answer any questions.
1: Thank you. Uh, Does the committee have any questions, comments? I
4: do. I'm thinking this is for Kelly. Um, It was, I live in the Outer Richmond District, and just last night was driving across, I think it's called, Cross Park Drive, it connects 43rd Avenue. Anyway, there is towards the middle of the park a pond or a lake that's being renovated. Mm-hmm. Is that part of your program?
6: Yeah, that is in our, hold on one sec. I believe Middle Lake is in the 20, as a 2020 project, but let me just check real quick. I believe Middle Lake has 2020 funding. Okay sorry, let me just check real quick. Do you know? Both 2012 and 2020 2020 bond funds.
8: Yeah. Um,
4: They're not making great progress there. (laughs) Uh, Is there something going on? Is is there a delay claim? There's not a
6: delay claim. I'll let Dan speak to it. He's, uh, this project is on his team. He's a project manager with Rec Park.
4: Good morning. Um, yeah,
9: Middle Lake is is moving forward. We anticipate completing that project roughly in November. Uh, we did have a slowdown during outside lands where we basically told the contractor he had demobilized for three weeks during that period, and so we're in the process of ramping back up after that event. Um, so we are a little behind schedule by a few months. Uh, but our goal is to wrap this up in November as the current schedule and timeline, although it looks like, uh, there's not a lot of work. There's uh, actually a lot of work that's down in the ground that you really don't see. And once water starts filling the lake, I think you'll start to see, uh, the fruitions of the, the overall project, uh, and planting, planting and irrigation work is, uh, beginning in near days here. So.
4: So the, the only delay you've really experienced is the three weeks that you shut the contractor down for the outside land. That was, that was one of the delays that you've probably seen a quiet
9: zone out there, although that park area was closed during outside lands anyway, but if you were walking through there, you would have noticed the construction activities were ceased at that point. Okay. That was part of the contract when we negotiated at the beginning so that we could accommodate other events in the park.
4: Okay, so you had anticipated that? Absolutely. So there's no delay claim or anything? There's like no that.
9: delay claim at that currently. We did find a, a big sinkhole out there that we're mitigating as part of the project. Uh, the lakes are connected by large pipes and we found that one was deteriorated uh-huh. and the lakes are over 100 years old and about 25 feet down below grade, one of the large connecting pipes between South Lake and Middle Lake uh, was determined to be damaged. So we're mitigating that through a change order currently. So we've added some scope to the project.
4: All right. That answers that question. And just generally, are you getting any kind of claims from the contractors for outside contractors that you're using? In other words, not city forces
6: Um, from the 2012 bond. um, We had one claim that we mediated um, and that was on Garfield pool Um, on in our 2020 bond um, program. We do have another claim um, on the the 900 Innes project.
4: I'm sorry, so which project.
6: Uh, Nine hundred us and I'll I'll just briefly touch on it in the twenty twenty bond presentation.
4: Okay, great. All right, thank you.
1: Thanks. Uh, I, any other committee members? I
10: had um, a question, actually, sort of a comment for Kelly, and also a question. Um, first, I just wanted to say thank you for including the leveraged funds that you were able to raise in your presentation. I think. Um, we and members of the public really like to see these go- these bond bonds or bond funds uh, just HAVE THE ABILITY TO LEVERAGE OTHER FUNDS Mm -hmm. AND RAISE OTHER FUNDS. I WANTED TO ASK ABOUT, I THINK THERE WAS ONE SECTION OF THOSE LEVERAGE FUNDS ABOUT DEVELOPMENT FEES. Mm -hmm. OR CAN YOU, I JUST HADN'T REALLY SEEN THAT BEFORE. CAN YOU EXPLAIN WHAT THAT IS?
6: RIGHT, DEVELOPMENT IMPACT FEES um, COME INTO THE CITY THROUGH DEVELOPER PROJECTS. Um, THEY'RE REQUIRED TO PAY A PERCENTAGE INTO PUBLIC BENEFIT. Um, AND I THINK THERE ARE DIFFERENT BUCKETS. I KNOW THERE'S A PARKS BUCKET. And so we depend on those funds coming in. Um, We plan on those. There's a whole planning process, a committee here, internal of the city, that plans those funds coming in. Um, And as I'll mention, in the 2020 bond um, program, we have seen a delay in those funds coming in. So there has been some uh, work to sort of fill those gaps um, because it's just slowed, as we know, development slowed. So,
10: So How do you access those funds? Do you have to apply for them or are they there is
6: a process um, and i think i'm not sure the capital planning folks might speak to this a little bit but there's a a city committee um, and the development impact fees are assessed um, and come in at uh, I believe entitlement there's there's a process of identifying how much those funds likely will be so that's all estimates and then the schedules are estimates as well and so there's a city um, committee that works to um, to plan that funding allocation
2: and I ask a related question on development fees? Um, And you can defer to another party if that would make more sense. But I understand that the development fees are updated based annually on uh, indexing. Um, I'm just curious, are you finding that the indexing is keeping up with actual cost escalation given supply chain issues, labor issues, and, and so forth?
6: I don't have an answer to that question. I don't know if our capital planning folks do. But we can get an answer for you. Yeah, I'm not an, uh, I, it's not something I work in, um, in detail. I, we, we plan those funds, but we don't um, look into the, um, how, we're, how they're being, um, I guess, uh, assessed.
2: Sure. Thank you. All right,
1: thanks very much, committee. Um, can we please take public comment on this item?
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should now press star three. There, we have no public comment.
1: Good. Um, if we could move to item six, please.
0: Presentation on the capital plan annual update and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
11: Hi, good morning. I'm Kate Faust from the capital planning manager with the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning. Just really quickly, the um, the developer impact fees are indexed to the city's um, annual construction cost escalation estimate, although I do think there's potentially a a change that's being considered. I don't know if it's been implemented. It actually sits with the planning department, not with our department, Um, but we do help with administration. And there's, is there a clicker? Oh, is this. Oh, it's this. Okay, okay. Um, so, Kate Faust, Capital Planning Manager. I'm here with Nishad Joshi, who's our Capital Budget Manager. Um, so, I'm just going to give you kind of an overview of the purpose and function of the capital plan, and then Nishad will walk you through the details of the current capital plan. How's this? Oh, 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 no. How, there we go. Okay. Um, So the capital plan was created in 2006. Um, It was largely created in response to a long period of underinvestment in the city's infrastructure and what was kind of a haphazard approach to how projects were funded and what um, bonds were placed on the ballot. So for context, at the time, um, the pavement condition index for streets was in the low 60s um, and was um, expected to drop even further, um, and the bond passage rate was about 50%. So, what the capital plan provides is a fiscally, fiscally constrained roadmap that lays out anticipated infrastructure investments over the next decade. Um, but it also maintains flexibility to reserve capacity to address unexpected needs. So, um, a current example is the COP reserve um, that the city has been able to tap um, to address COVID related shortfalls in the cash budget for the last several years. Um, So these are the capital plan's funding principles. We aim to strike a balance of investment amongst these five principles because um, any one of them, um, we could easily spend every dollar of our 10-year capacity addressing them. The plan's building our future chapter um, captures emerging resilience capital needs that don't neatly fit into the capital plan's service areas um, and often span beyond the 10-year horizon. So that's um, racial and social equity, climate resilience, um, as well as earthquake safety. As we know, San Francisco is a waterfront city. We're located between two major um, fault lines. So continuing to plan for the next disaster, even as we work to recover from the current pandemic, um, is really a critical part of our work. Um, So we have quite a few of the capital accomplishments on the next couple of slides. These are things that the city has accomplished in the last two years, since 2020, in the last two years when we were putting together the plan in 2022. Um, I'm just gonna highlight the geo bond funded um, projects. So 2,600 new affordable housing units have been completed since 2020 funded with affordable housing geo bonds. Um, We completed the ambulance deployment facility, fire station 49, as well as the Southeast Health Center, which were funded through 2016 public health and safety bond. Um completed fireboat station 35 and moved police staff into the forensic services division, both projects funded with 2014 ESER funds. Completed renovations at three neighborhood parks and nine playgrounds through the Parks Bond Program. Completed the Van Ness Improvement Project, which was partially funded with 2014 transportation bond funds. So one of the central aims of the capital plan is to provide transparency and build voters' confidence so that we can be successful at the ballot with geobonds. Um, almost every bond measure has passed since the introduction of the plan um, in 2006. So that represents $6 billion in geobond funds since 2008, and $2 billion in just the last two years. Um, the capital plan process requires getting support during the planning phase as we're writing the plan, um, so that when a bond does get onto the ballot, we have consensus as a city. Um, the Board of Supervisors approved the current capital plan in May um, with an amendment to the Geo Bond program. Um, they um, added an additional 150 million in Geo Bond capacity. Um, and that was allocated to affordable housing and public health. So that was 140 million that went to fund the affordable housing pipeline, and 10 million um, to fund ongoing needs at neighborhood clinics and some critical repairs that are needed at Laguna Honda Hospital and SF General. Um, So the uh, funding for affordable housing was 44% higher than our last capital plan, and with this additional funding it's 50% higher than our last plan. So this is just a bird's eye view of the various funding sources that we are balancing when we put together the capital plan. Um, The bulk of general fund needs are addressed with general fund cash and geobond funding. Um, We also have leveraged geobond funds um, to address transportation needs, so that's that 6% um, sliver that you see on the enterprise pie chart. Um, So that's that's it for me. I'm going to pass it to Nishad.
12: Thank you, Kate. Uh, Nishad Joshi with the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning. Um, So I'll be talking in a little more detail about the GeoBond program, which you're most interested in probably, and then also touch on the Certificates of Participation or General Fund Debt Program, as well as the city's PAYGO program or cash program. Before we get into the details of what's being proposed in the 10-year plan, Uh, These are some of the considerations that uh, we took into account when putting this program together. Uh, The first one you'll be familiar with, the current policy is for the city not to issue any more geo bonds. um, That would increase the tax rates above the 2006 level, so we refer to this as the geo bond cap. Uh, So this plan maintains that cap. Uh, As a result of that cap, and then also because of lower assessed value projections from the controller's office, as well as the success that we've had in issuing large geo bonds in the past few years, our bonding capacity is quite limited until 2028. So we do not have the ability to increase the amounts for the near-term bonds uh, that much. Another change for this cycle was that uh, voters approved an even-year-only election cycle, so we had some bonds planned for odd-year elections, uh, so we modified the program to reflect that. And also just wanted to mention that uh, when the plan was initially put together, housing wasn't considered part of the city's GEO bond program or capital plan more broadly, Uh, and climate change needs are also a more recent addition to uh, the geobond program so this has put a lot of stress on the uh, capacity available so this is a look at uh what the geobond program looks like for the next 10 years in the capital plan uh i should say that uh you know we do update the city's 10-year capital plan every two years so there is scope for this to change uh during that process And then also, typically, as bonds come closer to being put on the ballot, um, you know, we do look at revised assessed value projections to see if there's any additional capacity, typically. And there might be changes at the board as well. Uh, Already since this plan was approved, there have been some proposed modifications. I'll get to that once we just quickly walk through this list. So up front, uh, we have the affordable housing bond that Kate mentioned. Um, in March of 2024, followed by uh, November 24, where we have the public health and shelters bond. In November 26, we have the transportation bond. As you'll recall, in June 22, uh, the transportation bond that was put on the ballot did not pass. So this is, uh, you know, in, in order to make up for that. This amount does not cover all of the MTA's needs, but uh, the the goal is to address the most severe cash flow issues uh, with this bond. And then as we go further down the list, uh, you know there's more scope for change with these bonds given that they're in the out years. But in March 28, we have a waterfront safety and climate change bond proposed. Uh, the next ESER bond or earthquake safety and emergency response bond is planned for November 28. Uh, and then we have parks and open space, public health and transportation uh, coming back as well. So in general, we have a cycle that we go through uh, just to make sure that each of these programs receives funding in a in a timely manner. Uh, just to go back, um, the, the proposed change that I mentioned earlier is to take 40 million from that initial 340 million bond and move it to November 2024. Uh, the reason for that is that. Uh, If you look at the details, you'll see that we have funding for shelters in each of those bonds. The idea was to consolidate all of the shelter funding into a single bond and just have uh, affordable housing go on the ballot, um, you know, just as as it is. So so that first bond in March 2024 will likely be $300 million for affordable housing only. Um, This chart just shows... uh, the tax rate constraint that I talked about and how all of our previously issued and currently proposed uh, bonds stack up. So in the gray, you'll see uh, bonds that have already been approved by voters uh, and issued. And then in the the colored sections up top, you see all of the bonds that I listed on the the previous page. Um, That's how the debt service for those looks over time. So moving ahead, um, this is a look at our certificates of participation program. General fund debt is typically used uh, by the city for important projects that we don't think would meet voter approval. Uh, But given the shortfalls that we faced in our cash program uh, since COVID, we've also used this program to sort of backfill some of those needs. Um, so first up, for the current fiscal year, you'll see uh, exit from 170 Otis for $70 million. Uh, That's the HSA headquarters. Uh, that's a seismically unsafe building. So uh, the plan is to move them out of 170 Otis uh, into a different location. So that planning is underway. And then in the current budget, we also have $30 million for critical repairs. Um, so that's just, you know, your state of good repairs across the city portfolio, as well as $30 for street repaving uh, in an attempt to maintain the pavement condition index at 75 where it is currently. And then you see that we have uh, another critical repairs allowance next year, and then in the out years we do have some funding reserve for uh, replacing the Hall of Justice as well. Moving on to the cash program. So the cash program was um, quite severely impacted by by COVID. Um, You know, in 2020, we had mid-year cuts, and then the 2021 um, budget was a third of what it was pre-pandemic. So this capital plan attempts to restore um, some of those pre-pandemic levels of funding, although it will take us some time to build back up. In this plan, we have uh, 89 million proposed uh, in fiscal 2024, growing by 30 million per year until 28, and then slightly slower after that. Uh, I should say that in the current budget, we're already seeing that even getting to that 89 million has been a challenge. For fiscal 24, we actually only approved 59 um, million. And the same for fiscal 25. So it will be a challenge to get back up to the levels of funding that we were at before COVID. Um, The PAYGO program also attempts to maintain the street resurfacing uh, pavement condition index at 75. We're currently at 74. We do prioritize ADA needs as part of the city's PAYGO program. So that includes barrier removals at specific city facilities and parks, but also the ongoing uh, curb ramps program to install curb ramps. And then the PAYGO program does attempt to set aside $10 million for more enhancement types of projects, so security needs, security cameras, uh, upgrades of various kinds that go above and beyond just maintaining a state of good repair. But that's always a challenge to fund those kinds of projects um, in, in a difficult budget year. This is just some context uh, in terms of where we were before COVID um, and where we are, what we're planning now. So, the gray line up top represents what we had planned in the 10 year capital plan pre pandemic. The blue line shows uh, where we ended up as a result of the cuts that we faced during the pandemic. Um, You can see in the the dashed blue line that we have attempted to backfill some of those shortfalls using certificates of participation, but it wasn't nearly enough to get us back up to the level that we were proposing before the pandemic. And then in the red, you see what the current capital plan um, has outlined. So the solid red line is the cash investment, and then the dashed uh, line shows cash plus proposed COPs um but as i said earlier even in the first year we haven't been able to hit that 89 million so uh we're starting from a lower starting point uh than 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 this chart represents so that's all i have in terms of the formal presentation but we're happy to take any questions
1: great thanks very much um certainly the the planning around the needs of our city's public infrastructure Um, And the investment required is is of utmost importance. And so, us at this committee, um, the intersection of general obligation bonds, you know, delivering tangible um, projects in a transparent way is is of utmost importance for us. So thank you. Um, Any committee comments,
2: questions? Tim? Yes. Thank you. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, At the beginning of your portion of the presentation, and apologize because I'm a newer member to this committee, but you talked about the GEOCAP, and I was wondering, where is that memorialized in policy?
12: Um, I'm not exactly sure what the admin code is, but um, we do have that. That was set in place in 2006 when the capital plan was first initiated, so I can...
2: Sure. It's in the administrative code rather than like a debt management policy.
12: So it it seems like it's an administrative policy, so it's not listed in the admin code. So that's just a capital plan policy that we...
2: Okay, if you can point me to where that is, that would be helpful, just for future reference? Yeah, definitely. Um, And then I had a question about the list of the, on the the geo-schedule for the next several issuances. Um, If we could go to that slide. Um, I saw, and you alluded to this in your presentation as well, that the, I believe it's the November 2026, authorization request is for transportation projects related to the SFMTA, their facilities and yards. My recollection is for um, Prop A of 2022 is a $400 million measure, of which 250 was for facilities and yards for the MTA. So is the $300 million um, the same scope of projects? And then my other sub-question to this is that the other $150 million from the 2022-A ballot question was for street improvements. Is that now getting funded from Pay-As-You-Go or from other source? Uh, if you could let me know um, how those projects are being incorporated.
12: Yeah, so in terms of the split 150 versus 250, I just want to clarify that the 150 that was in the transportation bond is different from street resurfacing. the street resurfacing program citywide, so that's more MTA-specific. Improvements, I see. Um, And then the 300 um, million amount is sort of a compromise, just given the limited capacity that we have in the program currently. So we did work with the MTA to see what their most pressing cash flow needs were in terms of the, the 250 facilities component, and that's what that's meant to address. Um, but... Uh, that does not cover the full need of what the MTA was proposing as part of their uh, Prop A in 2022. They did receive some um, federal funding as well, so I think that was part of the calculus as well, which was part of the justification for reducing the the amount in the currently proposed uh, geobond program.
2: Okay, so there may be slightly different scope. It sounds like there may be additional external funding, but the sum of those things is going to be sufficient to cover I guess, the cost escalation between when it was originally proposed in 2022 versus the next authorization request in 2026. Is that a fair statement?
12: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think it would cover the entire scope of what was proposed in FY22, but it just helps them address the cash flow needs until that point in 2026. Okay. So there's probably still an unmet need for the MTA, even after the 2026 bond. Okay
2: that's helpful um, and then one last question in terms of the the COPs and I was li- looking and referring to the chart um, the line charts that you showed in your presentation um, in the the prior slide it said that there would be COP issuances of 30 million dollars in fiscal 24 and 25 is that 30 million dollars in each of those two years for 60 million total yeah Okay, so then on the, the line chart, um, and I think you also alluded to this in your comments, so we're starting from $89 million of PAYGO CapEx from joint fund, and then we're adding $30 million of COP issuance on top of that. So the funding should be $119 million, not $149,
12: right? So the reason it's $149 is because it also includes $30 million for streets.
2: Ah, I see. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Bart. i a
3: question. So, you know, they, um, I think it was Katie Foss that a few of the highlights of the, the geo, what the bonds have done over the last uh, so many years, you mentioned the Van Ness, uh, project at the street. So has that, do you, uh, do you know, has that decreased the deaths on Van Ness? I mean, that was something that was a bit major issue is one of the most dangerous streets here in San Francisco.
11: Yeah, no, I, I actually can't speak to that specifically. I know MTA would be able to, and I don't know if they have a presentation today. seems like we've got a lot of folks here. Um, but I, I do know that was an intention, one of the intended outcomes of the project, but I, I can follow up with you afterwards and provide some information I can okay. get from MTA. It,
3: thank you. And then, so what was maybe remind me what the ultimate goal of, of that project was was it i mean timing for mta the bus moving faster um more streamlined transit i mean yeah what,
11: the bus wrap the what's what's it called the bus... BRT. yeah the brt brt uh, yeah i don't know if you know anything else about the scope of that project i don't know the specifics
3: so these are questions i can ask MTA these are yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> okay great. we kind Thank of gather you. up
11: all the accomplishments from departments um but maybe not the best to the best people to speak on the details of each of them.
3: Cool. Excellent. Any
1: other committee members? Uh, Thanks. Uh, If we could open this for public comment.
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should press star three now. There's no one for public comment.
1: Okay, great. If we could close public comment and move to item seven, please, Roseanne.
0: Presentation from various departments on the 2020 Health and Homelessness, Parks and Streets Go Bond Program.
6: again, Kelly Rudnick, Recreation and Parks Department. I'll kick off the presentation on the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. Um, Joining me are um, Edmund Lee from Public Works, Gigi Whitley from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and Kathy Young will be uh, presenting for the Department of Public Health. We have a lot to cover, so I'll go quick and, um, and make sure everybody has time and be available for questions afterwards. Uh, this is what um, was just covered by Kate and Nishad, uh, Capital Plan. And this slide, um, this is an uh, over, overview of the financials. Um, each department will speak to the details in this slide um, through this presentation. And so about recreation and parks. First up, we want to talk about the issuance summary. Um, In August 2021, we uh, did our first issuance, and in February 2023, the second. um, Just to highlight, the um, projects in the neighborhood parks are all in design and construction. And in the recovery parks, um, Jackson Playground and Portsmouth Square have the CEQA clearance, and the other projects are in uh, planning and design. This is uh, just a visualization of the um, issuance. Um, the audit and issuance costs at $7.4 million are spread across uh, the departments um, in this bond, not just for Rec Park. And this shows Rec Park's um, bond allocation activity, um, the total of the two issuances of $197.8 million. Um, what's uh, important here, I think, is the $56.6 million that has been encumbered and the upcoming encumbrances with um, HERS Recreation Center, Buchanan Mall, uh, Japantown Project, and Portsmouth Square. Also in this is our Gene Friend Project, which will start construction in uh, early 2024. This just shows the geographic distribution of our projects, rec park projects, across the city. And I'll just briefly go through some project highlights here. Um, Buchanan Street Mall, it's in design now and is planning to bid late this year. As mentioned, the Gene Friend Rec Center is in design and pre-construction. The bid packages, the trade packages are expected to start going out this fall and start construction in 2024. The Rec Center at HERS Playground is uh, currently in contract award, and construction will start uh, this fall. The India Basin uh, Park Phase 2, um, this is in construction now. If you've been there, you you'll see that, and it'll open in mid-2024. Japantown Peace Plaza is in the bid phase now. Um, We are uh, hoping to start construction in April 2024, and uh, a lot of consideration for the merchants there in terms of scheduling that. Buena Vista Park, the planning is complete, and we're kicking off design now. Uh, Jackson Playground is now in the design phase. Portsmouth Square, this is in design, and we expect to bid this out this year and start construction next year. And in our recovery parks uh, program, we have the South Sunset Clubhouse, which is currently in design. This is the overall um, schedule right now. You can see that all of the named parks are um, in construction or heading into construction by early next year. And our recovery parks are all in the design phase. And a couple of programs to highlight, uh, the citywide parks and programs. Uh, our sustainability uh, bucket um, is the South Ocean Beach Coastal Trail, which is a contribution to the PUC's Ocean Beach Climate Adaptation Project. Um, that is in design now. Uh, the McLaren Park uh, bond funds are currently being um in a community process to update the mclaren park vision Plan, so we're um, prioritizing those funds through the com- community process right now and um, on the twin peaks promenade um, 1 million of bond funds are going to that and we're leveraging the state and federal grants on that project these challenges and updates are really facing all capital projects Um, Some strategies that we use in the bidding and economic environment are modifying projects and seeking additional funding for projects. Um, As mentioned before, we're experiencing some delays in the development impact fees. Uh, The regulatory environment and unforeseen site conditions can trigger additional permitting, which can sometimes push out construction. Uh, We always are building um, stewardship and community support for all of our projects. That can take time and effort. And um, the primary focus has been on these phase one projects. Uh, Our phase two projects are the citywide parks and programs that I just talked about. So this is a lot of detail on the bond revenues. I'm sure you have all might have questions on this. And uh, the second one here is um, on bond expenditures. With this, I'll wrap up the Rec Park presentation and I'll pass it over to Gigi Whitley from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing.
13: Good afternoon. Gigi Whitley, I'm the Deputy Director of Administration and Finance for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. and happy to be with you this morning speaking about the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond. Oh, there we go. So uh, the scope of uh, this piece of the bond for um, our department's stewardship was really focused on stabilization, acquisition, new construction, expansion, and improvement of permanent supportive housing. This is affordable housing with wraparound services for families, youth, and um, adults, including chronically homeless adults exiting homelessness, including emergency shelters. The total authorization um, was 147 million, and we've issued uh, 30.1 million to date. Um, And I'm gonna go over a little bit what our planning is now and how our plans have shifted. So just as an overview, um, one of our first goals was to acquire a a transitional age youth, what we call a navigation center, a low barrier shelter in the lower Polk area at 888 post. We completed that acquisition and opened that site, you know, really in the middle of of COVID um, in spring of 2021. It has been a successful program and is serving um, 75 um, youth who need emergency shelter and helping them transition out of their homelessness. Um, The remainder of the bond was really focused on the mayor's goal to um, uh, uh, move um, clients that we had moved into emergency shelter and place hotels into um, permanent housing and make a historic investment in permanent supportive housing expansion the bond was to support with other uh, local funds the homelessness gross receipts tax to acquire and approve improve approximately 250 housing units to serve people exiting chronic homelessness um, We've shifted a bit based on some really fabulous accomplishments of the department that I wanted to highlight and are planning to move forward in 2024 in using this bond money to uh, rehabilitate uh, new sites that we've been able to acquire with state funding and federal funding. So, this gives you the issuance subs- um, summary. As I mentioned, the first issuance was to acquire the three story building at Lower Polk, which is now a navigation center. Um, some amount for bond delivery and financing cost, and the bulk of the remaining funds approximately 150 for permanent supportive housing acquisition and improvements. Um, This shows you a a diagram of where the Lower Polk site is, um, but also shows you where we have met the mayor's acquisition goals and where we're really trying to now leverage the bond funds to support the further expansion toward those goals as well as rehabilitate new construction that um, new acquisitions that the department embarked on. So about two years ago, we embarked on an ambitious goal to acquire 1,500 new units of permanent supportive housing. The state at the same time leveraging some federal COVID relief funds introduced a state home key um, competitive grant. We have been wildly successful in going after those funds and have received six grants totaling approximately $115 million in capital funds and additional funds for short-term operating expenses to acquire 625 units, and those units are shown here. Uh, 240 units of that is dedicated to families and approximately 77 units for transitional age youth. Um, No bond funds were then needed for the acquisition of these sites as we planned when we went to the voters. However, to take advantage of some of the opportunities in the market, we did acquire properties that need some seismic retrofit and rehabilitation. And so that's the focus of the next coming projects. Um, Okay, so planning is underway for seismic retrofit and rehabilitation of two city-acquired sites. Um, We estimate in total the two sites will cost approximately 40 to 50 million, but we will know more after selection of a development team. Uh, One of the first projects is 835 Turk Street. We acquired 114 units and have been operating that site as permanent supportive housing since September, 2022. Uh, we are in the process of going out to bid to select the nonprofit development team uh, with expertise in affordable housing development and rehab to start construction in late 2024. Uh, The other site you see is 635 Ellis Street, that's 74 units of permanent supportive housing. That is being used temporarily as um, uh, the the units are big enough for couples, so about 114 units of emergency shelter. Um, Until we can start the rehabilitation, we're using it as an interim use, and then we'll be um, transitioning that to permanent supportive housing. Uh, Some of the potential costs not covered, Um, obviously one time costs like FF&E are not bond eligible, and we've been using the homelessness gross receipts tax revenue appropriated in our budget for that. Um, You know, we've been able to really be very aggressive in this acquisition strategy because of the Our City, Our Homes Fund and having the ongoing operating funds to maintain and operate these units. So you'll see the operating costs broken out there. And then finally, just some upcoming challenges and risks. The total cost for any sort of seismic retrofit and rehabilitation project you know, is, is still TBD until those projects are fully designed and bid out. Um, there are, you know, operational challenges in trying to conduct a, a rehabilitation project in a site you've already opened. So we'll either need to do a rehab in place or relocate tenants during the construction phase, and then we also will need to replace the shelter bed capacity we'll be losing at 685 Ellis once construction starts. Thank you, and I'll turn it over to the other departments.
8: Uh, good morning i'm kathy Jung. i'm the director of facilities and capital planning for the department of public health okay Um, the 2020 health and recovery bond allocates 60 million dollars to dph that will support two critical behavioral health related projects one is a 242 Uh, bed residential step-down facility to be built on Treasure Island and the second is the expansion and renovation of our psychiatric emergency services program uh, unit at uh, Zuckerberg San Francisco General. We have budgeted 43.5 million of the bond for the residential step-down facility which will provide transitional housing for clients that are coming out of mental health and substance abuse treatment programs. 172 of the beds are actually city obligations to rebuild for beds that will be lost due to the redevelopment on Treasure Island. We are also able to increase the overall capacity by 40% by adding in another 70 beds to the building. We are working on this project in uh, collaboration with both TIDA and the Mayor's Office on Housing and Community Development. and we have Mercy Housing that has been selected as a developer for the project. Uh, we also have an architectural team and general contractor that have been selected. And we are working towards completion of schematic design by this fall. Construction is targeted for start in early 2026, with completion by 2027. Total project, uh, total project cost is estimated to be about $72 million right now. We have additional funding coming from a state grant. Prop C, our city, our home funding, and Treasure Island development fees. The second project we have allocated eleven point four million to be used for the renovation and expansion of the psychiatric emergencies services department at Zuckerberg. Uh, the project scope includes adding two additional seclusion rooms, expanding the patient day room by over three hundred percent, creating a centralized staff and nursing station area. And adding a second uh, entry, Sallyport entry into the unit for both safety and access. Um, we have received Oshpad approval for the doc- for the documents this past July, and early demolition has already begun. Total project cost is estimated to be $23 million, with additional funding coming from our 2016 Health Public Health and Safety Bond. Uh, the project we are intending to have completed by spring of 2026. And that's my presentation, and I can answer questions or hand this over to Edmund uh, from Lee from DPW.:
1: Edmund, and do questions at the end. Okay. Thank Thanks. you.
14: Morning, Chair Matthew, and uh, members of the Oversight Committee. Edmund Lee, May Public Works Street Resurfacing Project Manager and the Acting curb Grant Program Manager. So, the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond um, dedicated 20 uh, 41 and a half million dollars to address capital needs of the city's right of way and public spaces. Excuse me. So the City and County of San Francisco is responsible for the maintenance of approximately 940 miles of streets and approximately 390 street structures, which many are public staircases, bridges, and plazas found in each of its neighborhoods. To ensure the city's streets and public spaces are accessible, curb ramps are installed to assist people with disabilities and who have trouble stepping on and off the sidewalk for navigation in the public right-of-way. Of of this $41.5 million, it includes investments in street resurfacing curb ramps and street structures and plazas our overall program schedule and budget um, public works did receive the full issuance of the 41.5 million dollars back in august of 2021 um, we started off um, expending and in, in, uh, of these these funds in um, q3 of 2021 and for um, this table here breaks down sort of the uh, the, the road for um, our expenditures with each of the different programs. So for street resurfacing, um, we had originally anticipated to complete our scope of work uh, in the um, end of q1 of 2024. For curb ramps, uh, we were to complete our scope of work by q3 of 2023. And for street structures and plazas to complete the scope of work by q3 of 2024. OF THE 41.5 MILLION DOLLARS OVERALL um, CONSIDERING THE ACTUAL EXPENDITURES AND ENCUMBRANCE uh, WE'VE SPENT ABOUT 98 PERCENT OF OUR ALLOCATION um, WE'VE ACCOMPLISHED MOST OF THE SCOPE OF WORK THAT WE HAD PLANNED OUT TO, um, to, to ACCOMPLISH IN um, FINALIZING AND CLOSING OUT A LOT OF OUR PROJECTS. THE FOLLOWING SLIDES ARE GOING TO BE UPDATES ON EACH OF THE VARIOUS uh, different programs that we have. So for street resurfacing, um, we had allocated thirty-one point five million dollars, and um, we've accomplished. Well, the goal was to resurface approximately three hundred blocks. Uh, to date, we've accomplished resurfacing three hundred seventy-two blocks, uh, or about one hundred twenty-four percent of our geobond goal. For curb ramps, we had allocated $5 million to fund and construct 121 curb ramps, and uh, we've accomplished 123 curb ramps, or 102% of the curb ramp goal. And for street structures and plazas, uh, we had two subcategories. Uh, we had a goal to fund um, the repair of 11 structures and to fund one plaza uh, with the $5 million allocation. And uh, so far, we've completed six street structures, uh, or about 55% of the structure goal, uh, and we're still pending on uh, the, uh, the one plaza that's remaining. I believe that concludes the uh, presentation for the 2020 Health and Recovery Bond, so we can open it up for questions on any of the, the different programs and agencies.
1: All right, thank you to all the uh, presenters. Um, such a wide scope of uh, important projects. Um, I'll open it up to the committee if they have any questions or comments.
5: I have a question for Edmund. Just stay where you are. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just when the street resurfacing is completed, which early next year, um, what does that, what's your anticipated change to the PCI? Is it gonna get it to that 75 goal? Do you know?
14: Uh, So I I believe we're, we're still, this current time, we're, we're still maintaining at where we're at. Okay. Um, you know, we, we usually do an assessment of the PCI goal um, at the end of every calendar year. Okay. So I think the next up, you know, upcoming report out will be in, in December of, of this year. But um, this this $31 and a half it is a, uh, a portion of our annual funding for our program. Um, typically, it's it's somewhere between around $70 million. And so um, this bond really Supplemented a large portion of, of our annual budget.
5: Yeah. So it's as much about maintenance as it is improving that score overall.
14: Yes, yes. yes. Thank you. Our, our yeah, our ultimate goal is to uh, reach a PCI um, in the 80s, which is what we consider a state of good repair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we don't, we we won't necessarily need to invest um, this level of funding on an annual basis.
15: Yeah. Thank you.
2: May I ask another question on the street resurfacing? So, thank you. Yes. So, in in your presentation, you highlighted um, that you had achieved 124% of the resurfacing goal, which is a strong positive variance, and good to see. What do you attribute the outperformance to? Was it just less costly to do each mile of street resurfacing, um, or was there some other dynamic at at play?
14: Sure, sure. No, great question. Uh, Yeah, so, a number of our our contracts um that we had issued out for advertisement and bid uh they went out in 2021 which um i I think was just you know during the pandemic years and and we did see uh, a dip in a lot of the the bids that the contractors were were um were providing and so um of the contracts that we had issued we did see around a uh, about i believe about two million dollar savings in what we had originally anticipated um since then you know, some of our more recent bids are are more in line with sort of the the market conditions. Um, you know, so I, we we suspect it was you know attributed to the pandemic and um, you know maybe contractors were were a little bit more anxious to get work and things like that. Okay, thank yeah. you.
3: Say nobody's on the street, so you could repair them, right?
14: Yeah. <laughs> that that what that did actually, yeah, that assisted a lot in in our traffic control and you know. Uh,
3: so that did help. Yeah, uh, so I have a question. So there's a lot covered under this one bond. So the, so the parks, the homelessness, and the street program, that's all this one bond. How, how does that, I guess, how does that get appropriated amongst the different departments and different projects?
5: There's a distribution that- of the proceeds that were allocated to each one. In the bond? Measure? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, that's that's all I got.
3: Uh, I, actually, I do have uh, was more of a comment on uh, the park. So, you know, being the, the liaison for the park, so I'll continue to watch this. But uh, you know, one thing I did notice, you know, there is a, a balance, you know, a relative balance from the previous bonds, which is fantastic. It's one thing the Parks and Rec in San Francisco does well is leverage money to you know improve our parks. And you know, I've enjoyed parks most of my life as a kid, and I take my kids to the park. Uh, Bayview Park, fantastic! The playground, glad, great to see that happen in the field. Um, so, as to, we didn't get a chance to touch base prior to the presentation this uh, this time, but I'd love to conti- to pick up where we left off. Um, and c- just a re- kudos, basically, for the the work the Park and Rec is doing and the, to keep it going. Um, you know, that's people visit San Francisco for a lot of different reasons, um, but I think one of the best things we have, you know is our outside right it's the golden gate park it's the beach we got we got so much here Um, i think it uh it's important to acknowledge that um you know this is money well spent and when it comes to developer fees you know that's a a conundrum because if you're not developing other parts of the city whether it's commercial or retail you're losing out on those fees that pay into help leverage those funds and that otherwise Park and Rec would have to, you know, use only bond money or or donations, which would limit their ability to do what they do. So, really, just just my comments as a liaison, and I want to do it at the end after your report. So,
10: thank you. Oh. Great. I have a question for Gigi. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the um, the supportive housing ongoing costs of $550 per person.
2: Mm-hmm.
10: Can you just tell us what that, like, how is that spent?
13: Sure. Great question. Gigi Whitley, um, HSH. So our permanent supportive housing model is, you know, intended to take someone who oftentimes or a family is chronically homeless and they need more support than a, a rental subsidy. So, you know, there's a spectrum of housing across the city from affordable, obviously, market rate. But this is a, a, a specific kind of model. So the operating costs really go to support the building, the janitorial, the desk clerk, and this is sort of an average based on our average cost for buildings, this $1,100 per unit per month, the $550 per tenant per month, and tenants do pay up to 30% of their income, but it is capped. Many of those income, um, many of those tenants are on SSI or other benefits. Um, or at an age where it wouldn't be reasonable to assume that their income is going to increase. But but this supports all of the wraparound services, the case management work, the referral to medical, mental health, behavioral health. All of those services are optional and opt-in, but that's sort of the average cost per tenant. Uh, for our adult portfolio, for our family and Tay portfolio, especially family. You have more members in the household, as well as different needs, child care, referrals, um, mental health care, um, you know, the, the support of the family unit. Uh, those costs are about double for a family.
10: Okay. So to be clear, that $550 per person on average is not to pay, PAY FOR THOSE SERVICES DIRECTLY, IT'S MORE TO REFER THEM TO OTHER DEPARTMENTS WHERE THOSE SERVICES ARE AVAILABLE.
13: SORRY, LET ME CORRECT THAT. NO, IT IS TO PAY FOR THOSE SERVICES DIRECTLY, SO THERE'S ON-SITE CASE MANAGEMENT. WE PARTNER VERY CLOSELY WITH THE DEPARTMENT OF PUBLIC HEALTH FOR CLINICAL SUPERVISION AND CLINICAL SUPPORT. But, you know, it, workforce, child care, things like that would be more of a referral uh, to other city services. So you can imagine the cost um, to support a family or a person exiting homelessness who may have been on their street for more than a decade. It, it costs more than just that case manager's time. And we try to leverage the more broader social services network of the city as well. So thank you for the question.
4: Thank you. Grace um, Woodley. <laughs> okay. What are your two initials again? I, I'm,
13: oh, G I G I G G. Say again. G G-G. G G I G I.
4: Okay, G I. That's good. I like got the it. movie, right. right? That was an easy question. <laughs> right. um, you referred to the what was it? The the Lower Pogue Navigation Center as a low barrier shelter. Can you elaborate on that for me?
13: Sure. Uh, This is a national model. San Francisco was really on the lead. Um, So, you know, historically, uh, you know, you, Maybe you would go into a shelter and you couldn't bring all of your belongings. Perhaps you had a pet. You couldn't bring your pet. If you were in a relationship with someone else who was homeless, a couple couldn't go in and stay together. The, the so-called low barrier model is to really meet people where they are on the street and so that they can bring their pets, their partners, their possessions in immediately um, and really make it a more welcoming uh, incentive to get people to accept that offer of shelter. There's some limit on the amount of time they can spend in those. Uh, great question. So there, there, we did have time limits pre-COVID. Uh, we sort of had to suspend that during COVID because we didn't want, uh, you know, not to be sheltering people during a shelter-in-place pandemic. So that is still suspended. Um, so there isn't a time limit. That said, we have limited shelter space, so uh, we've tried to put in a lot of resources at the shelter to quickly move people to their next exit, hopefully a permanent housing exit. Um, it sounds like it is a successful model, especially compared to what
4: I hear, anyway, about the other shelters. You know, there's general resistance, especially from the CBOs that support home, that provide homeless services, to shelters versus permanent supportive housing um and wouldn't it make some sense or are you looking to in building more shelters and you spoke of the one on um ellis street uh as being a temporary one that you're going to convert to permanent su- supportive housing Correct. 74 units i wrote um, is that one similar to the navigation center? Can they bring their pets? Can they bring their possessions? Can they bring their partners?
13: Yes, sir. So we, we've really, since the department was formed in 2026, been very intentional about shifting to this model of what we call a navigation center. It is true though for our larger congregate settings for adults, those shelters you mentioned where folks are certainly resistant in taking those offers of shelter. Uh, we are trying to move toward a navigation center model. We're constrained by, straight, uh, by space, excuse me, and as well as um, you know, uh, needing those shelter beds, but that is like the best and highest use um, and the best intervention for emergency shelter. Um, and our current strategy is, we don't want people to languish in shelter. We learned during the p- pandemic, we had some long-term shelter stayers uh, really, you know, over 65 who, who needed to be in a different, uh, permanent housing situation, but didn't want to leave the community of their shelter. So a a lot is happening in the department around our strategic plan and our shelter model, but you make an excellent point that this is really where we need to be going with our shelter services.
4: It does sound like a, a, at least a nearer term solution than the PSH, which takes what a decade to develop typically. What is the balance that you're trying to strike between the two?
13: Uh, Wonderful question. I'd be happy to share with the committee our new strategic plan. We have um, goals over the next five years. Um, Most of that investment is focused on housing. But as you say, we're in the middle of the crisis, and we know we need at least Um, 1,000 to 1,500 additional shelter beds. So, um, you know, you you heard some of the, the comments from the capital plan about future shelter investments. Those are really focused on our existing stock, and we're actively working with the mayor's office to meet those strategic goals to both expand shelter while we're expanding housing. The other piece of this is preventing people from coming into shelter, so a lot of new strategies you know, by the time you are homeless and seeking a shelter bed, uh, you, you know there, there's been many steps in your life to get there, and we really want to intervene um, more upstream uh, so you can get back in that roommate situation or back with your your family in Stockton, wherever it may be. um And so, I think sharing that strategic plan would give you a better sense of what our balance is. I don't have that with me, but I'd be happy to share that with the committee. I,
4: I'd like to see it. I prom- Great like for one would a future it. meeting certainly. All right. Well, thank you, Gigi.
13: <laughs> <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Yes, thank you.
4: Great. All right.
1: Thanks so much. And again, this this bond program doing so much. Um, I think we'll have to put twenty minutes on the agenda at least next time. Um, if we could take public comment, please.
0: Oh, sorry. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should now press star 3 to line up to speak. It looks like we have no one for public comment.
1: Okay, if we can close public comment and move to item number 8, please.
0: Presentation from various departments on the 2010, 2014, and 2020 earthquake safety and emergency response bond programs.
15: Thank you, Scott. Uh, good morning, committee members. Uh, my name is Ron Alameda, I'm the uh, city architect, and. DEPUTY DIRECTOR FOR PUBLIC WORKS, um, DEPARTMENT FOR uh, BUILDING, DESIGN, AND CONSTRUCTION, OR DIVISION, I SHOULD SAY. Um, APPRECIATE THE TIME THIS MORNING TO PRESENT uh, THE STATUS ON THE EARTHQUAKE SAFETY AND EMERGENCY RESPONSE BOND. AND I'M JOINED HERE BY uh, AN ARRAY OF PMs IN VARIOUS DEPARTMENTS, AS EARLIER STATED. I HAVE uh, Magdalena RYER, here, um, Michael Rosetto, Scott Moran, Ada Zhu, and Lisa Zhao, as well as Dan Mauer, uh, to present on the various um, program elements. It's another multifaceted um, bond program. Uh, on the screen, you'll see that it's comprised of principally three um, um, bonds that were um, issued or, or um, uh, passed. THE 2010 BOND, AS WELL AS THE 2014 AND THE 2020. Um, WE'RE WELL uh, INTO uh, GETTING MOMENTUM ON THE 2020 BOND AND uh, WINDING DOWN ON THE ELEMENTS ASSOCIATED WITH THE 2010 AND THE 2014. Um, EACH OF THE PM'S WILL um, ADDRESS uh, SPECIFICS ON THAT, BUT I WANTED TO GIVE AN OVERVIEW SUMMARY. AND I DID FIND THE CORRECT BUTTON SO THAT'S GOOD. Um, LET ME START WITH IT'S BEEN A a FAIRLY PRODUCTIVE YEAR BUT A TRANSITIONAL YEAR AND I JUST WANTED TO PAUSE JUST FOR A SECOND TO ACKNOWLEDGE um, CHARLES AGGARES WHO'S USUALLY STANDING HERE AT THIS PODIUM PRESENTING THIS. uh, CHARLES AGGARES IS uh, RETIRED FROM PUBLIC WORKS AND WE'VE ALSO HAD um, A COUPLE um, OTHER DEPARTURES, SAMUEL CHU, Chewy, who represented the police projects, has uh, departed Public Works and is engaged in uh, airport work now. And Captain uh, Goldberg, who historically represented the, the police uh, operational needs, has uh, moved on as well. So we are in the process of um, rounding out our staff with some uh, recruitments, um, but we do have uh, as. Stated earlier, the, we have quite an array of PMs that are advancing the projects. Uh, and speaking of advancing the projects, uh, the accomplishments uh, recently included um, reaching uh, completion of phase one of the 911 call center, uh, the Bayview Tenderloin Police Station MEP has been finaled, um, Fireboat Station 35, which was um, a great addition to the fire department uh, servicing the fireboat. And um, we've uh, got to the schematic design phase of uh, the surge facility for police in support of advancing the Ingleside project as well. Um, coming milestones include the uh, phase 2 is about to get started in November of this year for the 911 Center. Fire training facility uh, is beginning to gain some good momentum, and uh, onboarding of a AE um, contract soon, as well as uh, working with our staff to advance the concept design. Um, bond sales um, and appro- appropriations: we have uh, from the 2010 bond, uh, we had six bonds. Um, approximately 416.7 million. Um, that included some interest allocations as time goes by some of the bonds or the bonds will um, accrue interest. Uh, likewise in 2014, um, we, we experienced the same and that one's winding down. Um, we have some upcoming interest from 2010 and 2014 that is currently in discussion for appropriation. Um, AND SOME OF THE EARLIER uh, BONDS FROM 2010 AND 2014 STILL HAVE SOME RESIDUAL FUNDS. SO THERE'S DISCUSSIONS ON HOW TO um, APPLY THOSE APPROPRIATELY. Um, IN TERMS OF RISK ISSUES AND CONCERNS, um, OTHER THAN, YOU KNOW, THE the STRUGGLES OR THE CHALLENGE OF STAFF TRANSITIONS THAT I MENTIONED, uh, PRICE ESCALATION HAS BEEN A HUGE IMPACT ON ALL THE BONDS OF LATE. Um, so there's been a lot of activity amongst our design teams and our PMs to, uh, strategically address those by, um, adjusting scope, um, or, um, rolling out the projects, um, in, in recognition of where the bids are, where bids are heading and the estimates, um, supply side during COVID, we still have shortages of skilled, um, uh, workers as well as um, some delays from supply side uh, um, economics um, and then pg and has been um, challenging from time to time and that's been impacting a lot of projects. So that's just kind of a high level, um, high level view of what's going on with the overall bond program and I believe it is Michael that will be stepping up at this time sure
16: thank you thank you good morning Michael Rossetto Public Works project manager Um, fire station 14 is one of the stations we have uh, six fire stations uh, five projects uh, some of which are funded out of the public health and safety bond Uh, this station here is um, permitted it's at about 75% construction documents so it's moving into the queue it's a a little lower priority than some of the other fire stations that we have uh, in construction or queued up to move into construction right now. I think that's it. Yeah, the, button. Uh, the network improvement project is a higher project. That started at the beginning of the year. And what we're doing is we're in the planning phase. It's a project that's co-managed with the Department of Technology. We are in the process of surveying every fire station uh, to install new uh, equipment to tie each uh, property into the various fiber rings uh, that serve the fire department. We're nearing completion. We only have surveys to uh, take place out on Treasure Island. And then we'll move into the regulatory approvals and and so forth before uh, bringing contractors on board. Uh, Magdalena, do you want, there's a fireboat underneath the text. Oh, okay. Well, I can
10: speak. Uh, Magdalena Raya, project manager
17: for the fireboat station 35. And my pleasure is to inform you that it was completed successfully. Everybody's super happy about it. And my cost analyst, Kelly, fabulous person. Uh, She just told me that in about two months, less than two months, we will be financially closed. So... It's my pleasure to inform you about that. <laughs> and um, if you have any questions, please
8: uh, don't, do not hesitate.
16: Scott.
18: Good morning, Chair Matthews and other chair members as well as staff. I'm Scott Moran, project manager at Public Works. Uh, I'm presenting on the fire training facility and for the fire projects and police projects. For the fire training facility, um, we have completed a big survey. The site, it's an eight-acre site uh, of, of acquired land, so it's a, that was a major milestone to be getting past. The, um, this was a status as of uh, end of June, so um, the executive architect agreement, we did complete that work in uh, negotiations on that in July, and it went to the board of supervisors, but just missed it before they went on recess. So this will be brought up next Tuesday when they come back and the mayor will be introducing it um, for their approval or review and approval. So with that, the concept design is now scheduled to complete once we have the final contract approval from the Board of Supervisors and the mayor's office. And uh, that's likely to be end of September, early October. And then um, we're also working on an MOU with um, the Public Utilities Commission because there are three paper streets, undeveloped roads, that will be vacated um, on the site. And there are major utilities that run underneath that. So we won't build on top of them, but they need to maintain access and maintenance for those. Um, and then we expect to go out with an RFQ, a Request for uh, Qualifications for uh, Construction Management and uh, General Contractor uh, in the fall. We push that out based on the delay with the um, architects. Oop. There we go. Okay um on the uh the police um this project uh from 2014 this is complete and is being closed out um so there's not much to update on that one and then uh for 2020 um 119 million the uh cmgc uh the um construction manager general contractor for the police uh, uh, station and uh, Ingleside police station and the surge facility that was presented to the um, the public works commission and approved in uh, mid July late July and schematic design was completed we are slightly over budget on uh, or I'm sorry schematic design for surge was completed and in May and then we also completed a phase for the Uh, Ingleside Station, the budget came in higher, the estimates came in higher than we expected, so we value engineered, and it's back down to on budget, and we're uh, moving forward with that. Um, And that was what was mentioned in the upcoming milestones. The Mission uh, Police Station, um, that structural improvements project, has been completed and uh, is now being closed out. With that, I will hand it off.
16: Michael Rossetto again, uh, project manager for the uh, police department's traffic company and Forensic Services Division. It's uh, amazing to think that uh, August 27th, we crossed two years since we reached substantial completion on that project. Um, All that remains is under the Arts Commission, the installation of the public art, which in the image you can see there will be approximately to the right of where those uh, three flagpoles are shown. Uh, Fortunately, uh, there's been delays with the art and the fabricator um, being managed by the Arts Commission. Fortunately, during construction with Clark Construction, we anticipated the delays and uh, we moved the foundation for the art piece into Clark Construction's contract, still funded from the art budget. Uh, So a lot of the heavy lifting is already taken care of underneath the plaza there. So when the art's ready for installation, it should be fairly uh, simple to execute. With minimum uh, disruption out in that plaza, Um, so that's really the status on that. Thank you. You see.
6: All right,
17: morning, members and staff. Um, My name is Ada Zhu. I'm a project manager with SFUC. So just give you guys a little bit of background of the um, Emergency Firefighting Water System. So it is a standalone high-pressure water supply used for firefighting uh, purposes in the city of San Francisco. Originally, the system was built in 1910s, uh, right after the 1906 earthquake. Um, So I'm here today to provide you guys the update and some of the update and progress we made uh, to improve the system uh, using the Easter bond-funded So let's say, okay, so uh, moving on. um, So Easter 2010 and 2014, the focus is mainly, you know, doing the retrofitting of existing facility, such as cisterns, pump stations, upgrades. And then for the Easter 2020 bond, um, the focus has been switched to putting uh, new pipelines on the ground um, to kind of improve the capacity, especially in the Western region of San Francisco. So the slide here is showing the accomplishment for Easter 2010. Essentially, we have complete all the project with the pump station 2 construction completed in May 9 of this year. Um, it was a huge success. It's a over 100-year-old facility, and then the improvement includes uh, structural and seismic upgrades. So we gave the building a new life, and then, you know, after seismic events, Uh, the roof will be seismically retrofitted so it won't collapse on the pump station and the pump station can function and up and running and 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 be able to get water uh, into the pipeline to fight fires. Um, So moving on to the. So I just want to point out the picture is really pretty. It's a newly installed fire suppression system inside the pump (laughs) station. So also a challenge, because think about 100-year-old software, trying to integrate it with that. So some perspective here. Um, so Easter 2014, we're over 96% completion. Uh, the remaining project we have is called the Clarendon Supply Pipeline. Um, this is a very critical project. It added additional layers of water supply to the city, especially for the northern and western region of San Francisco. And this location is strategically selected uh, because of the easy access and also the uh, additional water uh, supply at this location. So, um, we're doing the... You, oh. What happened? I'm technically challenged her. Um,
15: there you go. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs>
17: um, so yeah as the picture on the right you can see there's some valving there's underground piping and there's a valving and then the enclosure Um, and this really critical project uh we're anticipate completion later this year sometime november of 2023 okay easter 2020 as i mentioned uh, this bond is focused on putting more pipeline on the ground um, and, you know, extend coverage for the city. And um, we have a, so a planning study conducted by FFPUC developed a concept of what we call the Potable Emergency Firefighting Water System. Uh, we call POOF uh, in short. So the system provides kind of a dual purpose. So during normal, op- uh, during normal operation, the pipeline serves as a day-to-day drinking water. And after a seismic event, we can switch some valving and then high pressure, make it into a dedicated firefighting uh, supply of water to fight fire. And then once the fires are extinguished, the pipe could be flushed, clean, and put it back in service because it's seismically reliable, while many of the pipe in the city may fail. So it's a, um, a concept that um, we kind of you know, model after Japan because they do have this system in Japan. So it's very innovative and new. Um, and then very exciting to uh, share that. We have two construction contracts currently going on. One is the 19th Avenue combined city project led by Public Work. So we just installed a 36-inch diameter welded steel pipe on 19 from slope to Vicente. And then we have another project uh led by SFPUC, Wavona and Vicente Improvement, installing another 36-inch pipe from Vicente, along Vicente from 19 to 23. And then we have two major design, uh, two major contract under design right now. Um, It covers install additional five miles of pipe on the western side of the city. So the first contract we call the contract A, install a 42, it's a huge pipe, 42 <laughs> diameter welded steel, uh, getting the sword from Lake Merced because Lake Merced has abundant of water. Uh, so to, to carry the water 42 to all the way to, the, to 19 and slope that we just installed the pipe. And then we have a contract B installing 36, 36 inch pipe from uh, Vicente and 20 there and kind of extend uh, west and north to 42nd and Lawton so um so those are the exciting thing that is happening and also want to talk about um you know constructions anticipating can start as early as 2026 and um and both the the, the first contract will be 2026 and the second contract is about six months uh around after six months after um i also want to touch base on the fireball manifold so these are uh, along the bay side of the city and these are very useful because um during an earthquake event, those fire bolt could pull up to the fireball manifold, uh, hooked it up, and inject water to the pipe and fight fire. So almost like a pump station, but a floating one. So we, we have two we place and relocation, one at Fort Mason and one at 35 and a half Right now, we're looking at the planning, looking in the alternative analysis, because um, those are... Uh, strategically selected location, but we have some challenges like, you know, crossing the Embarcadero, and also Fort Mason is a, with National Park and has a lot of artifacts because it's a landfill and on the core list, so we're just working through all the detail to find the you know, most cost-effective way to uh, put those manifold. So with that, I'll turn it over to the next presenter. Oh, sorry, just the picture here. It's the newly installed 36 at the 19 and Slope. So as you can see, how big compared to the other underground utility that we have have on the street.
11: All right. Um. Good morning, members and staff. Uh, My name is Lisa Zul. I'm the project manager from Public Works who's managing the 911 call center renovation uh, under the ESER 2020 bond. Uh, Happy to report that we are in construction right now, and it's going fairly well. We are about 65 to 70% completed with construction and are anticipating the final completion by end of this year. Um, And so I think that's the uh, update for today, unless you have any questions for me. Thank you.
0: Okay,
1: sorry. Thank you. I'm
9: going to bend down. <laughs> Good morning, uh, committee members. Dan Maurer with the Recreation and Park Department Capital Improvement Division Project Manager. Uh, the project that I'm um, happy to report on today is our partnership with the Public Works Easter Bond Program team is the uh, proposed renovation of Keysar Stadium and Golden Gate Park. Uh, We have a a unique opportunity to partner with sister agencies to do what I call a a, a nexus to utilize city resources for multi-agency needs. Um, I'm assuming that you all are familiar with Keysar Pavilion in some form or fashion, but it's located on the east end of Golden Gate Park. It's a structure that was originally constructed in 1926 as a gymnasium and over three different uh, eras uh, there was additions made to the backside of it which we call the the annex building uh, we've done a lot of research on the building and um, uh, have done a lot of due diligence to get the uh, existing conditions we've done hazardous material assessments soil condition assessments we're in the process of uh, doing um, structural assessments of the building uh, the facility's been evaluated over the years and it's been determined that it's seismically unsafe. It's rated three on, on a rating of four, which means during a major event, the facility would most likely collapse on itself and or be un, uninhabitable. Uh, and given that the there's an excess of about 4,000 people that could utilize the facility, it becomes a huge safety issue. Uh, so the Rec and Park Department's been looking to renovate this facility for many, many years. It's just obviously a larger historic building, uh, which creates its own constraints. Um, So we're fortunate here to partner with the Easter program and partner with, uh, Department of Emergency Management, DEM so that we could renovate this facility and do dual function. So it would operate as a recreation facility on a day to day basis. And in the event of an emergency, DEM would come and administer their programs out of the facility. So we're designing the facility to do dual function in that, that aspect. And so far our partnership with them has been terrific. The facility is also unique in its location in the park. Obviously, the building is the focus of this project, but because of its location adjacent to an open parking lot, a vacated street in the park, and also Keysar Stadium, it lends itself to the emergency response facilities that that DEM and other city agencies may require, depending on the emergency event. So there's a nexus there as well. Uh, Currently, the facility operates as essentially a regional drop recreation facility. Uh, it doesn't operate on a day-to-day basis like a recreation center would in your neighborhood. The goal here is to renovate it so it does operate as more of a recreational facility on a day-to-day basis, serving that neighborhood. Um, and um, losing train of thought here. Um, so that, that's the program from the rec side. Uh, DEM's proposed um, use of this facility would be for a multi shelter facility. Um, They have different terminology which I'm learning as we develop and work with them but essentially it would be a shelter facility um, and uh, what do they call a mutual aid station and so essentially it would be a a place for housing so to speak and distribution of goods to people who need it depending on the type of emergency. So um, that's that's the goal from their perspective. Uh, We're moving forward. We're in concept plan uh, We're doing due diligence on finding out all the variables of the existing facility. We've been in robust discussions with the planning department as it's a historic facility. We've been dealing with the historic uh, preservation group as well, and we've, we've mapped out a process to move through that uh, uh, CEQA uh, process on the project, which is great. Uh, we've also commissioned two independent cost estimators to ride us through this process as we develop the concept plan and begin to engage with the community uh, in near term here. So. Obviously, you've probably heard many times that uh, costs and market fluctuations are changing. We want to make sure we keep our pulse on uh, costs as we move forward. Um, So, in the interest of time, I'm going to leave it there, unless you have some specific questions. Thank you.
4: Great.
1: Thanks for all the presentations. Um, I'd like to open it up to the committee. Bart,
3: go ahead. Yeah, so since you're there, so I noticed it said uh, completion 2027. Is that what? 2026. What did that slide just say? uh that completion of planning is that the goal of uh, no our, our goal is to complete this
9: uh at late 2027 probably early 2028 we're anticipating about a 30-month construction window uh we're we're talking with contractors and other folks as we develop this obviously time is money and so we're trying to shorten that window if possible you know somewhere between two years to 30 months is the is the window we're talking about here uh but we're aggressively moving forward uh planning to go into the the design develop or the the schematic design phase of the project, which will help us refine the cost as we move forward. Excellent, thank you.
15: Uh, Uh, I've just got a couple summary slides so we kind of got cut off a little bit. Oh, Uh, please. Go
4: ahead and do that. Well, all right, let me just ask the question, Ron, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, This is for for Scott Moran, and this is quick. Um, You said that some bids on contracts that you had issued came in way over your budget, and so you did value engineering. I'm inferring from that that you did the value engineering before you awarded the contract, if that
18: right? Yeah, to. so the, um, well, the, the, what we, we're completing schematic design. When we completed schematic design on the Ingleside police station, we did a, a check estimate, and that estimate um, came in higher than what we had budgeted. So we went back and we value engineered. To bring the project back within the budget goals, and the the contract that we're awarding is only the uh, pre-construction services portion of the uh, construction management general contractor por- uh, agreement. So it's not actually the construction portion yet; it's the pre-construction. So they can also give us real-world estimates and some um, build uh, you know uh, assessments on how we're approaching the project from a constructability.
4: I mean, I, I like that you're doing it up front. I'm, my experience with value engineering after contract award is whatever savings you find, you have to split them 50-50 with the contractor. Is that yeah? The case? So we're not at that
18: stage yet. You're, we're, but you're you're not. J- yes. So this is still we're schematic design, and um, we're going to be going back, completing schematic design. Then we'll get into design development and construction documents. <laughs> then that is after construction documents. It gets into the phase where you're talking about. Good.
4: Yeah. All right. That explains that. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we're on. Yeah, Ron. Ron, okay. go ahead.
15: Sorry, I was excited to move. <laughs> no on. worries. I know there's a lot of parts here, and, and, and um, yeah. I've got the most exciting part, I guess. Um, uh, so anyway, just a couple summaries on financials. I don't need to do a deep dive, but 2010, as I mentioned, is well uh, winding down. At 99 percent of the expenditures and appropriations completed, um, the residual. Um, IS TO DO WITH some, SOME ART FUNDS, I BELIEVE, AS WELL AS um, uh, SOME RESIDUAL FUNDS THAT WILL BE ALLOCATED, um, PRIMARILY uh, UNUSED CONTINGENCY. Um, LIKEWISE IN 2014, WE'RE AT 96%, um, KIND OF THE SAME STORY IN TERMS OF um, JUST CLEANING UP AND CLOSING UP um, WITH the, THE FUNDS THAT, that REMAIN. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we're in discussions with the various parties in terms of the distribution of interest uh, funds, as well as um, remaining contingencies in in these two particular uh, bond issuances. And then lastly, in 2020, we're we're just getting our momentum with 41% expenditures and appropriations, uh, and that's Again, uh, a momentum on the uh, fire training facility as well as Ingleside, and a good um, uh, energy towards 9 11, uh, wrapping up soon, as, as Lisa had mentioned. Um, and that concludes the uh, presentation portion. If you have further questions, I'll um, happily entertain them or um, defer to uh, my, my lifelines behind me. Great. Uh, thanks very much. Uh-
1: We'll resume our committee questions if anyone has any further.
2: yes, Tim, please. And this may be a more general question, but since we were talking about projects coming in over budget, um, I guess the the question I have is about what percent over budget when you get a real-world estimate versus your internal preliminary estimates. um, How much is that difference, and then is this widespread just because of the bidding environment and supply chain issues and inflation or is there something more specific to any particular project
15: um my my sense is and the the various pms can weigh in as is is a uh, i've been kind of right at the forefront of it lately but generally the overall inflation is kind of the driver Um, each project has its own site conditions Uh, i know Site has some challenges with being adjacent to, uh, Bart lines, uh, and, and, and the tunnel associated with that influencing the structural, uh, design. Um, like I said, all of the projects have their own kind of unique, um, physical challenges, but the overarching one has been just general inflation. Um, supply side has been kind of bouncing around a little bit. And I think that we're seeing some improvement on, on that skilled labor is, uh, continuing to be, a A BIT OF A CHALLENGE AND AS I MENTIONED EARLIER um, BRINGING UTILITIES TO THE um, TO THE PROJECTS HAVE BEEN A BIT OF A WILD CARD WITH pg and AND WITH GOOD HELP WITH PUC WE'VE BEEN ABLE TO um, NAVIGATE SOME OF THOSE Um, BUT HISTORICALLY um, THE uh, DEMANDS FOR UTILITIES HAS REALLY um, MOVED um, OR BECOME A REAL CHALLENGE IN TERMS OF OUR COST forecasts. Um, if, IF NOT TO BELABOR IT TOO MUCH, BUT, YOU KNOW, FOR INSTANCE, Ingleside RECENTLY, AS THEY WERE GOING THROUGH THE ESTIMATES AND there was, THEY FINALLY GOT TO THE POINT OF um, BEING ABLE TO SHARE WITH pg THE uh, PLANS AND, and EXPECTED uh, UTILITY DEMANDS, PGE CAME BACK WITH AN ESTIMATE OF A PROJECT CRUSHING $13 MILLION ESTIMATE TO BRING POWER TO THAT SITE. Uh, thankfully, with some help with PUC and myself and discussions with PG&E, we're able to get them to rethink their approach and bring it down to um, a common, you know, half million six $600,000 uh, endeavor. So that's just one instance of kind of the wrangling we have to do with uh, seeing where the costs are going and where we might be able to bend the curve to uh, a better advantage. Thank you.
1: Other questions or comments from the committee? Seeing none, if we could open public comment on this item, thank you. thank
0: you. Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. And members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 2661 eight, eight, 9782. The webinar password is 1234. Then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. It looks like we have no public speakers.
1: Great. Okay, if we could close public comment and move to item 9 on our agenda.
0: Liaison report on the 2008 San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center Earthquake Safety Gobon Program and 2016 Public Health and Safety Goban Program. We have Vice Chair Crawford. Thank you, Roseanne, and um, good morning, good morning,
10: it's still the morning, Um, fellow committee members. I'm happy to present today. I'm going to focus on the 2016 public health and safety bond um, as my liaison report today, mainly because the 2008 bond has been pretty much completed or or in um, either, the projects are complete or in the, final stages of completion so this 2016 bond has six components um, each with many projects and um, even a year and a half in i'm still really learning a lot Um, you all have the quarterly status report hopefully you had um, some time to review it in advance i'd like to Highlight a few accomplishments and um, talk about sort of what I've been focused on as the liaison over the past year Which is mainly learning more about and visiting the community health center projects I had the opportunity to visit two bond-funded community health centers one um, renovation the Castro clinic renovation of a uh, Existing structure and one a ground-up development Um, I'll talk about both today and review really quickly where we are with other uh, projects such as the neighborhood fire stations, the ambulance deployment facilities, and Zuckerberg Building 5, which has the most uh, component or the mo- most fun, uh, projects funded by this bond. Then I hope um, Joe Chin is here. I hope for the opportunity and any other project managers that are in attendance to answer questions that the committee and the public may have, um, especially related to Zuckerberg Building 5. So as you all know from previous reports, all bond sales for this program have been completed. As of March 2023, the expenditure total was almost 255.7 million, and the encumbrances are just about 70.5 million, which represents 93% of the appropriations and 93% of the total bond program budget a few accomplishments. All of the community health centers are complete or almost complete and in closeout phase. Uh, The Southeast Health Center, the Southeast Health Center um, renovation or renovating the existing building to add dental suites and um, adding on a new construction two-story, really beautiful health clinic, um, which was built right next to and connected to the existing building that's those are um, the projects one of the projects that I had the opportunity to visit Um, the new buildings facilities have shared clinical team space um, with exam rooms sort of all around this team um, this team space which helps improve clinical workflow um, and just collaboration of the clinical teams all of these uh, new community health centers are built are built in alignment with this integrated wellness approach, which so they all include primary care, um, mental health, dental care, substance abuse um, or substance use uh, disorder services, and social services. So you'll see that if you have the opportunity to visit these, um, that these these spaces are really beautiful and and built to make the are the experience, I guess as easy as possible for patients. They go to one place and they get all of these services. Um, the new building, the Southeast Health Center, is just beautiful. It has a few really cool public art installations. If you have the opportunity to visit, I, I really recommend um, you can take the T Muni. There's the Bayview Park that Member Pentoha mentioned, right across the street. And in fact, this health center looks out onto that beautiful park. There's this um, really lovely tapestry in the lobby of the um, of the clinic that was, uh, you know, made possible through a, a partnership with the San Francisco Arts Commission. So, it, like I said, if you have an opportunity, you can visit two bond-funded projects in one in one visit. I really recommend this one. Um, other CHCs, the Maxine Hall um, CHC is complete. The Castro Mission Health Clinic is the other CHC that I visited this year, also really nice on the inside. Um, the same clinical team space that I talked about um, in relation to the Southeast Health Center. Um, the team really did a great job with this and um, with many more constraints. Associated with renovating an existing building versus having sort of you know more freedom with uh, ground-up um, development like they had with the new Southeast Health Center. There's uh, the Castro Health Clinic is in closeout phase with some minor fixes like there were some leaks in the old windows um, after this winter of heavy rains, um, so they're replacing those and some other pretty minor stuff. Um, Zuckerbil- ZUCKERBERG BUILDING FIVE, THE PROJECT MANAGEMENT TEAM ON um, THESE CURRENT BUILDING FIVE PROJECTS, THERE'S A LOT OF THEM, I THINK. WELL, IF YOU SAW, IT TOOK UP ALMOST HALF OF THIS 52-PAGE REPORT JUST FOR BUILDING FIVE ALONE. Um, so. There are 19 bond-funded projects in Building 5, encompassing 206 locations. And the team has been working really hard over the past nine months or so to move these projects along. I don't know if you remember uh, from my last year's report, there, there was a lot of really slow progress, let's say, in the previous year, mainly because the team was Completing these building scans for seismic upgrades and and a lot of redesign based on those building scans And they had to wait for approval to move forward with the building from the state all that's pretty much done now And so these projects are really moving along and that's I think really great news um We anticipate that the progress at building five, this progress, this um, pace of progress, let's say, will continue over the next year and that building five will continue to be a really, really busy project um, over the next year, year and a half. And Joe can speak a little bit more about any questions that you have about this really complicated project. The ambulance deployment facility is done. The city issued the certificate of final completion in February of this year, and I really hope to visit that along with the new fire station um, 49, I believe it is, before the end of the year. The other neighborhood fire stations, the hose tower removal is now complete in all six stations. Fire station 15 tower replacement. So these are these old towers, many of you know that um, they used to store and I think dry the the hoses in and that's just not the way hoses are stored and dried anymore so many of the or most all of those towers were taken down but the city wants for historic preservation reasons to reconstruct one and that is at fire station 15 and that will be bid out this year I think public works is finalizing the contract specifications um, for the for that Tower replacement to bid that out. The generator replacement projects um, are funded through this bond at stations 18, 37, and 44, and um, fire station 18. The design team, actually, I think someone might be here from that design team, is targeting to complete drawings by September, so at the end of the month, um, and the bidding will commence after fire state. The generators are um, come are at fire stations um 15 and 19 which was part of that ESER bond that um that ron and and michael just spoke about that's this next uh fire station 18 will come after those are complete those generator replacement projects are complete the homeless services sites that on turk street and hamilton shelter those are the smaller sites those are now complete and um, or in closeout phase And Joe, hopefully if there are any questions about the two city owned shelters on um, Polk and Fifth Street, those have been, those two projects have been kind of delayed um, because the city increased the scope of the projects uh, because there were just some delays related to COVID and um, some other delays in the design and bidding process. That's it for my liaison report, Um, like I said, joe is here to answer any other more substantive substantive questions that my my report did not cover
1: um thank you for that vice chair uh any questions or comments from the committee
3: excellent
1: Uh, very good. Um, if we could take public comment on this item, please.
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 Access code 26613889782 Password 1234, then pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. It looks like we have no public comment.
1: Great. If we could close public comment and move to item 10, please.
0: Liaison report. On the 2015 Affordable Housing GOBON Program, 2016 Loans to Finance Acquisition and Rehabilitation of Affordable Housing, the past GOBON Program, and the 2019 Affordable Housing GOBON Program. Chair Matthews.
1: That's me, thanks. I'm gonna to try to make up some time here for us folks. Um, first, I'd like to thank uh, Andrea, Lydia, and Benjamin, the staff who met with me last month to discuss. Uh, these bond programs, Um, so there's three of them that fall under the umbrella of housing, uh, to which I'm the liaison to, and I can report that all of the spending is in (laughs) accordance with the voter's will. Um, First, we have the 2015 um, bond item, $310 million. It's almost um, completely spent uh, with just three projects remaining, uh, just to be completed uh, the Portrero hope SF infrastructure project um, the down payment assistance program and uh, the teacher housing at 43rd and Irving um, and so the result of these monies uh, is anticipated to produce approximately 1568 affordable housing units which is great um, the second bond program is the 2016 um referred to as the PASS program the preservation and seismic safety um, that was 350 million dollars uh, approved by the voters november 2016. Um, the first issuance of 71 and dollars has almost um, fully been deployed and these um, loans um to support housing, uh, existing housing have have uh, nearly been closed. The second issuance, uh, $101.5 million, about a third of that has been deployed to closed loans, and um, the remaining balance has been fully committed to in-process projects. Um, so the first and second issuances um, anticipate to uh, serve to preserve approximately 1,262 residential units and 45 commercial units, Um, and this is really incredible work. Um, As was mentioned in the earlier presentation um, by HSH, um, this is keeping folks in their homes so they don't become homeless. Oh, and to note on this past program, um, all active loans are currently performing. There have been no, there are no defaults, delinquencies, or workouts. Um, The final bond program, the 2019, um, $600 million passed by the voters in November of 2019 by a margin of 71%. Um, The first issuance of $253 million has um, 82 of percent of which has been um, spent or encumbered Um, the second issuance which just closed in april of this year um, 28 of which has been spent or encumbered by the end of um, that fiscal year and um, a positive piece to you know this is an evolving program here but um, the city the group is anticipating that Um, 3,105 units of affordable housing will be produced, and this is up uh, approximately 713 units from the report given by staff back in 2021, so a variance in the right direction. Um, And that is it for me on this item, and uh, I look forward to having staff come in and give their program report in six months and get an update on the goings-on. So, thanks. I'll entertain questions or comments from the committee. Excellent. Um, and if we could take public comment on the item, please.
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415 655 0001. Access code. Two six six one, three eight eight, nine seven eight two. Password will be one two three four. Then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. No public.
1: With uh, no public comment, if we could close and move to item 11 of the agenda, please.
0: Presentation from the city services auditor regarding the whistleblower program, liaison report on the whistleblower program, and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report.
19: Good morning, committee members. Just a moment here as we queue up our slides. All right. Well, good morning and thank you for the opportunity to present an overview of the city's whistleblower program. My name is Steven Munoz. I'm the manager for the office of the controllers whistleblower program, and I'll be taking you through today's session. The next series of slides is not new for this committee, so we'll move through them a little more briskly than we have done so in the past. However, for those less familiar with our program, our authority to investigate matters comes from both a combination of California government code and local, local government laws. The enabling legislation lays out both what is within and outside of our jurisdiction. Our core four areas of investigation include misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services and wasteful and inefficient government practices. As it relates to matters outside of our jurisdiction, the program reviews each report that we receive and we make a determination of whether the reported allegations fall within our program's jurisdiction. THE CHARTER CALLS OUT SPECIFIC CIRCUMSTANCES uh, WHEN uh, THAT FALL OUTSIDE OF OUR PURVIEW AND THOSE CIRCUMSTANCES ARE LISTED ON THIS SLIDE THAT YOU SEE BEFORE YOU. THE KEY THING TO NOTE IS THAT WHEN SOMETHING DOES NOT BELONG WITH OUR PROGRAM, WE WORK WITH OUR PARTNERS AT DIFFERENT AGENCIES TO ENSURE THAT IT GETS ROUTED TO THE APPROPRIATE VENUE. For the more human side of our program here is the listing of our current team we're certainly proud of the diverse professional backgrounds reflected in our team members and that they collectively possess the knowledge skills and abilities to meet the needs of our function some of our recent additions include a former paralegal from the city attorney's office a former investigator from the department of police accountability and a recently promoted staff member from the san francisco fellows program The data presented before you today is from our yet-to-be-issued upcoming Q4 annual reports. As you can see, report intake volume for this year was down from last year. You may recall from our previous sessions in front of this committee, our discussions about reports that we'd been receiving in the previous fiscal year, 21-22. During that time, there were days where we'd receive reports with no actual information, as many as 10 a day. Um, So a little inflation reflected in this volume trend from previous years this next slide is just a summary of our overall volume from this past fiscal year as you can see we started off with 82 open reports we received 562 closed 581 and had 63 remaining open at the end of the year so we were certainly efficient in that we closed more than we received our program receives reports with varying degrees of contact information the first two columns reflected on this chart show everything that we received this fiscal year and the source of how we received it. The second column further further down by breaking out the number of anonymous reports that we received. Although we have a variety of methods in which individuals can contact our program, the most common way remains through our online case management system, which received about 78% of all reports last fiscal year. This slide shows a breakdown of how long it took us to close reports this past fiscal year. Now we have an internal goal to close 75 percent of reports within 90 days of receipt. There are a number of factors that may cause a report to go beyond 90 days in age such as complexity of allegations number of allegations or uh, investigation requirements for sworn employees. Having said that we exceeded our goal this last year by closing 88 percent of reports within 90 days of receipt. Of note, more recently, we have been giving consideration to adjusting our goal to close 75% of reports within 90 days of receipt. As I mentioned on a previous slide, we've seen fluctuations in report volume, and we're using this upcoming fiscal year as a new baseline to determine how we can enhance our performance and refine our closure goals. This next chart summarizes how cases were addressed by our program. The first four columns in this orange box here reflect matters that were addressed by our program to the extent possible. The last two columns are matters of examples outside of our jurisdiction, which we previously discussed on slide four. As you can see, we investigated approximately 57% of all reports we received, or 333 reports. Moving on to percentages of investigated reports that have resulted in corrective or preventative action. Despite general increases and natural fluctuations in case volume and different employees staffing and managing this hotline over the last decade, this number remains consistent within this 30 to 40% band. So of the cases that we investigated this last year, 39% led to a final decision maker taking some sort of corrective or preventative action. We are constantly exploring ways to develop this number through employee outreach and education to improve the quality of reports that we receive and awareness of the hotline as a resource for employees who need it. And in closure, here are our goals for the upcoming fiscal year. Our first goal is to close 75% of reports within 90 days of receipt. As I mentioned, we are currently considering the need to re-baseline for enhancement this fiscal year. We will continue to issue our quarterly public reports on the status of program activities, and we anticipate that our Q4 annual report will be issued in the coming month. We'll conduct annual whistleblower program trainings for all city employees, and we'll also train liaisons on conducting investigations. For those of you who are less familiar with our program's processes, we have liaisons at every department who help us gather information for investigation. In some cases, as, as uh, approved by charter investigate the matter on our behalf. We'll also continue hosting a national webinar series to promote leading hot, fraud hotline practices, Right now, we're coordinating with GAO's FraudNet Hotline. GAO is the Government Accountability Office, which works at the federal level. And finally, we will continue reviewing our policies and procedures with an eye towards continuous improvement and really identifying best practices that can constantly improve what we're doing. That is all I have for you this morning, and we are happy to take any questions or comments. Great. Thank you so much. I'd uh, like to open it up for questions, comments from the committee.
10: I have a question. Thank you, Stephen, for your report. Can you talk about the difference between your, or actually maybe not the difference between, but can you just talk a little bit more about the annual report that the whistleblower program puts out? What's included in that annual report and how the public learns about it?
19: Absolutely. So our annual report, um, we issue a report every quarter, and that's really a reflection of the quarter that it's it's issued for. Our annual report is summarizing the entire fiscal year of activities. So in that, you can more clearly see trends from the fiscal year on a year-by-year comparison with previous fiscal years. That's the most apparent distinction between the annual and the quarterlies. Also included in our reports are investigative summaries. So at the end of our reports, we do have certain confidentiality provisions that restrict what we can report openly. So we include high-level summaries omitting department names, names of individuals involved in our reports, but that can give you a better idea of what came through the program that quarter and through the year, and what sort of corrective actions it may have resulted in.
3: I have a question. You mentioned early in your report on receiving on average 10 a day of no report, so what does that usually come in in a form of an email or a call with nothing, no voicemail left or?
19: So in the, in the previous fiscal year, um, when we were in front of this committee, we spoke to some of those reports that they really didn't make a ton of sense. Um, they had really limited pieces of information. If it was an email, the equipment would be something that may go to your spam box right away. Um, SO THAT'S REALLY KIND OF WHAT WE HAD TO WORK WITH. WE CAN'T ATTRIBUTE IT TO ANY FACTOR. IT'S JUST THE HOTLINES OPEN 24-7, AND WE'RE receptive TO ALL MATTERS THAT COME THROUGH. Uh, WE, THE END RESULT OF THAT REPORT CREATED SOMETHING WHERE WE MARK IT, WE'D RECEIVE IT, AND WE'D HAVE TO CLOSE IT WITHOUT INVESTIGATION. HOWEVER, THE FACT THAT WE RECEIVED IT WOULD still show, SHOW UP IN OUR VOLUME FOR THAT YEAR. SO IN PREVIOUS FISCAL YEARS, YOU MAY SEE INCREASED VOLUME, BUT VERY LITTLE WORK ASSOCIATED WITH THOSE COMPLAINTS. THANK YOU. Anybody else?
10: Just a comment um, to say, you know, when I became the liaison of this the whistleblower program, I didn't really understand why this was part of the Siegelbach or what, you know. um, I can't remember who made that decision at some point because it's not a bond-funded program, but I will say I find it fascinating and I do meet with the whistleblower team maybe once or twice a year and they put together a Kind of a stack of cases um, that I'm able to just review, and it's it's just really really interesting. Um, if you're at all interested in ethics or, you know, how uh, governmental department uh, processes or processes these these complaints, I would really recommend that you participate also as maybe a co liaison or something like or in the future. Um, and I just want to commend you all on your work with the whistleblower program. I think you guys are doing a really great job. And an additional plug: San Francisco is really on the cutting edge, I think, in terms of municipalities throughout the country, um, in terms of their work. As um, you know, our whistleblower program is something we can all be proud of. So.
1: I'd also like to echo that, Uh, very professional work done by your office, and uh, I've I've been in a few meetings with David in my capacity as a union rep, so I was just impressed with um, how everything went. Um, So without any more comments, questions from the committee, if we could have public comment on this item.
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. Access code 2661-388-9782. Password is 1234, then hit pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments. Please note that you will have three minutes. It looks like we have no public comment.
19: Thank you, committee members, for your feedback and your time. Thank you. Uh, So we close public comment and then move
1: to our final agenda item, number 12, please.
0: Opportunity for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. Item 12A, audits unit, public integrity reviews. B, CSA division updates and work plan. 12C, public finance, upcoming bond issuances. And 12D, C, GOBOK, FY 2022-2023 work plan liaison and meeting dates.
20: Good morning committee members, uh, Chair Matthews, Vice Chair Crawford, Mark De La Rosa, I'm the Director of Audits for the Controllers City Services Auditor Division. I'll be covering the first um, item, which is the uh, public integrity, and then I'll be uh, presenting co-presenting um, Item B with Natasha Michal, the Director of Performance. On the uh, first item related to public integrity, uh, since your last meeting in April, uh, we have completed one additional audit related to our public integrity efforts. Uh, that was an audit that we issued back in July, um, July 13th specifically, on the city's landfill disposal agreement with Recology. As you may recall, as part of the whole Muhammad Nuru um, uh, case and, and situation, Recology was under the purview um, or some purview within uh, the Department of Public Works. Um, And so one of the uh, the key um, deliverables that we set out to do was to look at the landfill agreement that was overseen by both Public Works and the uh, San Francisco Department of the Environment. Uh, We issued this in July. Uh, We um, had three um, overarching findings and nine recommendations. Uh, The recommendations covered um, improved uh, controls regarding Recology's reporting. Um, the data that they submit to the Department of the Environment just to make sure that they're accurate and complete. Um, Of those nine recommendations, all nine were actually concurred uh, to by the Department of the Environment and we will be following up as part of a regular process uh, in CSA audits. Um, In addition, we also have for the current fiscal year Uh, one ongoing public integrity report that we're working on. We're currently in the uh, draft reporting phase. Uh, We'll be issuing it, uh, hopefully, our plan is September or October, and it's regarding the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission or SFPUC's uh, procurement surrounding uh, some of the internal control weaknesses that were identified in the uh, former general um, manager uh, Harlan Kelly's procurement uh, procedures. Uh, in addition to that we'll be following up on all of our recommendations that we've let over the last three years related to public integrity and we've also folded in some of the uh, key themes that we identified uh, in all 10 of our reports that we've issued in the last three years as part of our regular audit program including audits of procurement contracts and ethics compliance happy to answer any questions you have
1: thank you for that Uh, any questions at this time
20: All right, uh, transitioning to 12B. Um, we do have a slide deck that hopefully will be visible. Um, this is just to provide you, as mentioned again, Mark De La Rosa, Director of Audits. Um, I'm on the CSA audit side of CSA, um, and I'll be co-presenting with Natasha Mihal, who's the Director of Performance uh, for CSA Performance. Um, over the next, actually for the next few slides, I'll be covering uh, some background on CSA, the City Services Auditor Division, um, and to answer uh, Vice Chair Crawford's question regarding why a whistleblower appears before the C. um the whistleblower program actually is within. The uh, CSA uh, mandate, which appears under Appendix F of the City Charter. So, within that CSA, uh, one of the mandates of, of the City Services Auditor is to administer our whistleblower program. Hence, we uh, report before you. Uh, but just to outline some of the uh, key Appendix F uh, provisions, uh, we serve as the internal um, auditor for the city. So, we do conduct financial compliance and performance audits. Uh, We also evaluate performance. Uh, We conduct um, various benchmarking just to make sure that the city services that we provide are aligned with either leading practices or various key metrics that we should be holding ourselves against. Uh, We also, as mentioned, administer our whistleblower program, among other uh, responsibilities that we have. Uh, This next slide is just to provide you with kind of the uh, overarching uh, responsibilities that fall under audits and then those that fall under uh, city performance. So on my side, on the audit side, it's both of our sides, um, but on the uh, CSA audit side um, it's really more on the uh, performance audits um, as well as financial. Uh, We comply with the generally accepted government auditing standards or GAGAS, which is also called the yellow book. So all of our um, All of our engagements uh, that we call audits uh, comply with uh, those standards, ensuring that we have a quality uh, assurance process and that our evidence are based on appropriate and sufficient uh, information. Uh, We also, as mentioned, uh, conduct um, uh, investigations as part of our whistleblower program. ON THE CITY PERFORMANCE SIDE, uh, IT'S REALLY um, A WHOLE HOST OF VARIOUS ANALYSIS AND BENCHMARKING AND TECHNICAL ASSISTANCE THAT THEY PROVIDE uh, CITYWIDE THAT ARE MOSTLY DRIVEN BY EITHER um, RISKS THAT ARE IDENTIFIED OR REQUESTED BY THE DEPARTMENTS. IN TERMS OF OUR WORK PLANNING PROCESS, uh, AS YOU CAN PROBABLY think or surmise given the complexity of the city and county government, uh, we do have more ideas in terms of audits and and, um, performance uh, projects at any given year. So we do balance uh, all of the uh, mandates that are in the city charter, as well as the admin code, um, and also the uh, requests from various um, departments and electeds, as well as limited risk analysis against uh, the available resources that we have at CSA. Um, IN GENERAL. Uh, WE DO DO A BALANCING AT THE END OF THE, uh, OR AT THE BEGINNING OF THE NEW FISCAL YEAR, JUST TO MAKE SURE THAT WE'RE ABLE TO uh, PRIORITIZE THOSE THAT um, ARE REALLY HIGH RISK, AT LEAST ON THE uh, the AUDIT SIDE, um, AND I'M SURE THAT THAT'S ALSO THE CASE FOR uh, CITY PERFORMANCE. Um, IN TERMS OF RESOURCES, uh, AS PART OF the, um, THE APPENDIX F PROVISIONS, WE DO uh, get two tenths of one percent of the city's budget, meaning that each department's two tenths of one percent or 0.2 percent budget rolls into the uh, controllers audit fund that funds uh, the, the, the services that we provide in audits as well as those in city performance uh... in FY twenty two twenty three and i believe this is aligned with what's in the current fiscal year as well uh... that comes to about twenty one million dollars that we uh... share between two divisions uh, we have about seventy seven or close to eighty uh... fte's or full-time equivalent positions um, just to give you kind of the um, the breakdown in terms of the cost centers and the work that we do uh... given that it is a two tenths of one percent allocation you can probably uh... uh, uh um, it's not surprising that the larger departments are the ones that bubble up as the, the ones that have the most uh, locations. Uh, but we do have um, the first line there, the general fund departments, which is the uh, um, a combination of all the smaller departments combined so that we're able to provide um, audit services uh, to, to everyone citywide. And I'll turn it over to Natasha for the city performance work
21: is afternoon so good afternoon committee we're almost mm-hmm. done uh, just to go over some of the work that we have planned on the city performance side i'm natasha Mihal, the city performance director uh, we have some key programs that are ongoing uh, some are mandated in the charter so we do a lot of performance reporting uh, there are links in the powerpoint that is online so that is about our performance scorecards we're in full swing in our development of our annual report on de- uh, performance measures for all departments. Also in the charter, uh, what we are mandated to develop and report on standards for parks and streets and sidewalks. So how does a user experience these with objective measurements? Uh, we recently this spring issued um, our first report on the streets and sidewalk evaluations with new standards that we have developed that hopefully um, are be- both easier to measure and can give us better information, both for public experience and for public works operations. We do run a program, uh, have for 10 plus years on nonprofits. So we help about 13 departments um, monitor the fiscal and compliance of nonprofits so that one nonprofit working with multiple departments uh, for fiscal and compliance monitoring will only be done once. Um, We also, a new mandate for us in the last couple of years, is managing the Our City, Our Home committee. Some of the key projects that we have this year, um, I just wanted to go through some of the departments. So for public health, uh, we are working on continuing phase one of a hiring process improvement project that will lead us to what a phase two could look at to help the department with their hiring. Um, We are helping with a bed modeling project. This is a multi-year project to estimate the number of beds that are required in about 60 different types of beds for the department. This is gonna really drive the strategic planning, both for behavioral um, and acute care beds, as well as other projects. Uh, For the homelessness and Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. We have a suite of projects, uh, both smaller technical assistance to help with process improvement, as well as helping them uh, measure and report on their strategic planning goals. And we are going to be uh, we have just started scoping on a shelter assessment. How is the city doing when it comes to this space? With the MTA, we haven't worked with them a lot since pre-COVID and they're a huge client of ours. So we are uh, helping them right now with the procurement and implementation of an onboard survey. So this will give really detailed information, line specific to the department to be able to make service changes um, going forward in the next several years, as well as a fair evasion study. On the government operations recovery side, we're continuing to support the city administrator, our office, and the Department of Human Resources on making government operations better to improve and speed up hiring and contracting. Uh, and then in the nonprofit space, there's going to be some in, uh, legislation introduced soon that will be uh, requiring, though you know we are in support of it, of developing a new program for nonprofit helping departments figure out how to monitor the performance of nonprofits. So this will include a variety of things from standards of what types of performance measures should go into your contract, how are you monitoring those, and how are we reporting those out to the public? That's been a real um, area of concern for a lot of people, but we're excited to be working on that. And then what's not shown on the slide um, is also that we are uh, we have started work on our general obligation bond report. So this is one of those that we've done either every year or every other year. So we are um, kicking that off actually in, the, in about the next week or so, we'll be communicating with departments what this is going to look like. This will absolutely come before the committee. I think we're hoping around a February, March completion of that work. And I think... I will hand it over to Mark.
20: And just in the- in the interest of time, I'll be very quick. Um, this is just highlights of some of our key um, audits and engagements in FY2223. Uh, we do have a whole host of, of audits um, that relate to nonprofits, um, similar in vain to uh, what City Performance is doing, but we're highlighting those that we identified from our risk assessment. We also will be continuing our construction and geobond audit program, uh, as you may recall, or some of you, I don't know if, if anyone um, here, but in 20, uh, t- 2015, uh, the committee asked CSA audits to conduct geobond expenditure audits, uh, and we've completed 10 so far, and actually the next slide will uh, will cover that. Uh, But we'll be continuing uh, that work uh, within the space of construction and geobinds, so construction contract closeout, uh, change order audits, um, any best practices and leading practices that we can gather as part of those engagements. We, as mentioned, have our public integrity uh, suite of work. We also have our IT cybersecurity um, engagements. So we do conduct um, penetration testing, uh, maturity assessments, uh, just ensuring that the city's systems are as um, strong and safe as can be. Obviously, those are um, our confidential um, reports um, that we let to the departments just to make sure that the city is protected and that we're not um, uh, sharing the vulnerabilities of the city to the public, but we do conduct those on an ongoing basis uh, in conjunction with the Department of Technology. Um, Actually, one very quick one too here is that we are continuing our our cost recovery work, given that COVID um, and FEMA uh, cost recovery is ongoing. Uh, CSA Audits has been leading the citywide um, uh, um, pre-auditing of all of our submittals to FEMA, uh, so that it, that's going to be tailing off, given that the, uh, the emergency has, um, has officially uh, been declared not an emergency by the federal government, uh, but we will be submitting our last few claims to uh, FEMA and Cal OES in the coming months. This is just emphasizing all of the uh, geobonds that we've audited so far and that we do have a placeholder in our current year work plan for those uh, geobonds that we have not yet audited. And those are the ones that we have been holding off because they haven't had any substantial expenditures to really have a meaningful sample. But we are revisiting this right now because three years have passed. And I know COVID uh, paused some of those projects, but I know a lot of activities are happening uh, given the report outs today. Uh, this is just to call out that we do um, uh, comply with Yellow Book. We will be going through our, uh, our tri- triennial peer review um, next fiscal year. Uh, so that's uh, one of the key requirements at Yellow Book, that we in CSA audits go through an external peer review by other audit um, agencies uh, in the country so that we can say that we do follow the Yellow Book standards. And that concludes our presentation on the CSA um, work plan for the year. Happy to answer any questions you have.
1: Thanks to you both. Um, Any questions, comments from folks? Uh, I'll just real quick, um, related to the annual report, um, I'll have it sent around to the committee so we can review the last one that we published. Uh, The committee members typically put a small um, introductory piece uh, into that, so let's keep that in mind as we go forward. Thanks. Uh,
3: Good afternoon, committee members. Uh, my name is Bo Scott and with the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Um, I know we're over time, so I'll be brief. Um, included in your package for today is the city's anticipated for geo bond calendar. Um, and as the calendar shows, the city expects to bring two potential geo bond transactions to the Board of Supervisors for approval in fiscal year 2023 to 2024. Uh, one of those transactions is a potential refunding of certain outstanding general obligation bonds. Um, that would of course be subject to market conditions and a favorable assessment of potential savings going forward. Um, and then in addition to the potential refinancing, the city tentatively expects to bring the third issuance of the 2016 preservation and seismic safety, affordable housing bonds to the board of supervisors. Um, and that would be sometime in the latter half of fiscal year, 23, 24. Uh,
16: thank you.
1: Great. Thanks. Questions, comments on this item. Okay
21: so i think the final item is about the calendar and liaison assignments i will pull that up but if chair matthews if you have anything to add on this So if we could pull up the screen for SFGov TV. So this is the calendar uh, for the year of when we will hear bonds, when we will hear liaison reports, and when the meetings are scheduled. This was a double meeting, so we will get back to our normal process of just hearing from a few bond programs uh, each quarter. We have one liaison vacancy. I don't know that there's a rush to get it filled, but that's one thing we'll have to work on
1: think we may have corralled the volunteer we did mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so we'll have uh, our newest member Tim um,
2: uh, great. To that.
21: we will uh, connect with you the contacts for that program
2: great thank you yes
21: Roseanne is there
0: anything else to cover I think that's pretty much it
1: okay if we could take public comment on this final item
0: Members of the public who wish to provide in-person public comment on this item, please line up at the podium now. Each person will have three minutes to speak. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please press star 3 to line up to speak. Moderator, do we have any public comment for this item? Nope.
1: Okay, if we could close public comment and adjourn the meeting. Thank you. Thank you.